You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. We have a good friend of the podcast and a friend of ours, long time, Jeff Gonzalez, Triton Concepts, who also teaches some badass pistol shooting classes. Yes. And uh, we had Craig Douglas, um, at the who kind of gave our, our um, closing talk at the collective. And uh, in there, there was some little bit of banter about getting McQuilkin to one of his combatives courses. Yes. And uh, I got the one thing I was a little nervous about, and even though Craig, it's not really a shooting course, not, yeah. you have to shoot, do some shooting proficiency, and there's some dicey shit that he does. The gun handling is yeah. still the gun handling, yeah. yeah. So I, I figured, what better place than to take Chris to uh, Mr. Jeff Gonzalez, who actually I feel like taught me how to shoot. I was kind of a fucking shit show before we started working together years ago. But I'll never say that to you. <laughs> I'll never say that to your face. <laughs> No, but uh, I was uh, uh, like um, I was doing some work with the with the NSW and got invited to go to a shooting school, and I figured like I better not show up and look like a complete asshole. <laughs> so I recruited Jeff, who pretty much over the course of about eight hours got me pretty far to where I showed up, and those people actually thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> That's what I've always said. With mission like, accomplished. If uh, uh, Jeff can take somebody like uh, like Chris doesn't have any shooting instruction, he goes to a level two, and I mean. If you had talked to people, they wouldn't have thought that you were a new shooter. Yeah. I true. passed the last test, but then DQ'd everything else, so they kind of brought my score down. Uh, just a little. Yeah. Down to a, down to a 10. Well, 11. But, <laughs> but there were actually people in the course that DQ'd it. Yeah. On yeah. the final test? Yeah, yeah. There were. So, I mean, that's the thing about uh, interesting about Jeff's course is that people show up. And a lot of people fail. Oh, man. And I know there's people that get butthurt about it, but Whoa. you're like, the, the score is the score. I can't fucking magically give you a participation trophy. No, we do not issue out juice box. Though I did have a juice box prepared for text, just in case. Insta <laughs> if he started to cry, I was like, I should have something ready for him. But this last rifle class, we had um, a lot of people in the class, and <clears throat> they were good people. It turns out this was one of the better rifle classes I've done in a long time. And... Uh, like early on i had to like just manage their expectations when i looked at their gear i was like if your rifle weighs over this much you're not passing this class and when we weighed the rifles every one of them weighed over that much oh because they had so much shit on their rifle yeah and none of them passed the class what's the uh what's the break mark amount no more than eight pounds oh so they were slinging like eight ten pound rifles I had one rifle that was like about 9.7 and then everybody else was like about 8.7 to like about maybe just at nine. I had, I had, that was on day one. On day two, it was a miracle to see how light a lot of those rifles got. So they just started jettisoning oh, all yeah. the bullshit. <laughs> now, were these all uh, 16 inches? No, I had, I think I had two. AR pistols in the class. So those were short, short, shorter barrels. They're not short barrel rifles, but they were AR pistols. So they yeah. definitely had a shorter barrel. So uh, people actually taking your course with an AR pistol. Yeah, we've had that before. Wow. I mean, it, there's nothing <clears throat> significantly wrong with that. I mean, you know, the, the way that the ATF finalized the most recent ruling, there's no penalty for 
mounting the stock or the, in this case, brace into your armpit. So, and then like creating a cheek weld with it. I remember right. there was like a weird Yeah, so deal. that was the thing. It made If you made contact in two points. So if you made, because technically an, an, a pistol brace can only make contact in one, which is your, that's the brace. But if you make contact in two points, then theoretically it becomes a stock. Mm-hmm. So um, they kind of worked through the, the ruling on that one. And now, you know, we, we see it every now and then. I don't recommend it because the, the, <clears throat> the braces are just really mushy. And they're small. And well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's more about how pliable they are because they have to be pliable to fit around your forearm. And that pliability works great when you're trying to stick your forearm into them. But when you're trying to mount it up in your shoulder pocket, it sucks. And so that was a consistency problem. So in other words, it kind of maybe it, it folds a little bit to the left this time, folds a little bit to the right this time, didn't fold at all this time. And so you're constantly getting a, a slightly different, you know, shoulder pocket mount. And it just they, you know, and again, you don't know what you don't know until you get out there and start slinging lead with with all that stuff. And then you put some put some parameters, like some standards in place so that you know that, okay, this was good, this was bad. They can start to see the effects of that. And that's that's what I see the most is that when, without um, without standards, most people just go about their day without ever thinking, without putting two thoughts into what they're doing or why they're doing something. You put a little bit of standard into something and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, let me rethink this. Why, why am I doing it this way? So is this in a non-NFA state? Yeah, it was Pennsylvania. Yeah. So it was Pennsylvania, which yeah. doesn't allow NFA. Uh, yeah. Well, that you SPRs. could, you could, if you wanted to bring. I'm sorry, I, I, um, you could bring it to the state if you wanted. If you, you just got to put out the paperwork. It's, you know, the the problem that I have always had with doing that is, they they, they like like they want their cake and they want it they want to eat it too. Meaning that I have to send them, I have to fill out a form with enough notice that I can get it returned to me. And they've gotten a little bit better, but every now and then something gets bogged up. And if I'm counting on bringing that SBR to the class and I don't get the paperwork, then I'm screwed. So I just stopped doing it altogether because it just never was reliable. Like sometimes I'd get it back in 30 days, sometimes it'd be 90 days. And meanwhile, you've got a, you on the form, you have to list the, the location that the controlled item will be stored at since it's not stored in its home location and so that means you have to have your hotel or your range wherever you're going to be staying or whatever you're going to be putting the 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 firearm it's just such a pain in the ass these days so now if i'm leaving the state of texas i don't even bother anymore it's just not worth it so what is it uh you know were people using like um lpvos like low powered uh no actually this variable optics or just all red dots um on day one we had one lpvo and by day two it was gone wow and it's not, you know, like it, <clears throat> you really just have to play with the scales. You know, you have to kind of like figure it out. Okay, like one guy had, I don't know, I've never seen it before, but the receiver had a pistol grip that it appears as though weighed like all, like nine-tenths of a pound. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with something that's that heavy on your rifle, pistol grip? It's like, what the fuck? And he, you know, he took it off on day two and it like literally dropped nine, you know, 0.9 pounds off of his rifle's weight. So I'm like, was it like some, uh, machined Tidex? No, it wasn't. It was, it was actually like aluminum. It looked like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like, I saw it on day one and I was thinking to myself, well, that's something I don't see that often. And then on day two, he's like, Hey, did you bring your, your scale? I want to weigh this again. And I'm like, what'd you do? Cause I asked that. And on day two, I asked, did anybody do anything significant to their rifles? Because... 
um, it could potentially affect their zeros. And so before we start zeroing, I just want to know who's really kind of messing around with their stuff. And this guy said that he had done some stuff. And when I asked him, he said that he took this thing off. And I was like, why'd you do that? And he says, well, I think it weighs a lot. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean you think it weighs a lot? Don't you know how much it weighs? Why would you put something on your rifle without knowing how much it weighs? And which, you know, and I say that with a somewhat condescending tone, because to me, it's obvious, but to a lot of people, it's not, you know, because again, there's this um, misunderstanding about what the rifle really should be doing. Like the rifle should not, you know, I mean, you got to define the mission. What is the intention for that? And most, most rifle classes that we teach that are open enrollments, the default setting is a defensive rifle used in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. That's it. it, you know, on the, at the unit level, it's different. It's an offensive weapon used in a multi, you know, an asymmetrical battlefield. So it's a big difference there. But this guy, when he put it, when he changed out that lower and we weighed it, he was like, wow, that weighed a lot. I'm like, yeah, it did. So it was just kind of like uh, interesting to see the, the changes that, I, I shouldn't say interesting, we see it every class. Uh, I always imagine sometimes uh, it's like a Christmas tree. Like when you get your first Christmas tree your first year, you put some <laughs> ornaments on, and then next thing, about 10 years down the road, your fucking Christmas tree is just packed with shit. Yeah, yeah. You got to almost throw everything away and start over, which is when I've gone shooting with people, I'm like, man, that thing looks like a fucking 10-year-old Christmas tree. 10-year-old <laughs> Christmas tree. That's a, a good one. A lot of shit on there. Um, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. I think, too, sometimes what happens is um, there is a... And I, I say I, I want to say this without it sounding, without hurting people's feelings. But there's this desire to try to look cool, and I'm I'm totally down with that. I mean, you can look as cool as you want, but if you really have no reason to put all that stuff on there, then why, you know? And and if you want to just have that for plinking purposes, great, fantastic, or like. It's just like every now and then you're going to break that bad boy out. And you're going to get busy with it. Fine. But to, to truly become, you know, comfortable with a rifle and, and to truly use the term rifleman, you really have to know what you're doing. And the first, I tell this to everybody, the first step in that process, that, that pathway that you're going to take is having the lightest rifle possible, you know, cut weight whenever you can. And, and all that's going to do is just, it's just going to, it's going to tip the scale in your favor to learning the fundamentals a lot easier and a lot faster than somebody else that doesn't do it. Uh, what's the breakdown of uh, DIs versus uh, piston rifles? Let's see. We started, we had one piston gun on day one, went away on day mm -hmm. two, and everything else was a DI. Yeah, so um, DI is direct impingement. In, impingement. Yeah. yeah which is so, and, and typically, no, I take that back. We did have... We did have two, and one of them stayed. Yep, one of them stayed. The first one was the one that was a little bit heavy, and I, I, I kind of thought that it was um, more than what the guy needed for the class, and he figured that out pretty quickly. And what's ironic, and this is what I love, is the moment we can cut weight down to a manageable framework, the student all of a sudden starts learning. And, and that particular student really took on uh, the learning process and by day two he really was doing well he he had figured out some of the issues that uh, and the way i explain it is like it's like you're um it's it's murky water when you're 
dealing with something that's that heavy of sorts. It's just all murky. The moment you can let that that all that filament and all that that crap just settle to the ground, you can see clearer. And it makes it so much easier in the learning process. Mm -hmm. And at some point, yeah, sure, go for it. Throw all that crap on there because now you have the skills. You're proven, right? You've proven yourself as far as being a rifleman. You have the skills to be, to be doing well there. So when you add any piece of equipment, you see the adverse effect immediately. And then you can like determine, okay, you know what? I really don't need this. Or uh, this is going to change my game up a little bit. I need to, I need to approach it from this angle. Mm -hmm. But going the other direction just always ends in failure. Yeah, we see similar things with barbell in a much general, more general scale, not as skill associated. But if you do start too heavy, then uh, kids cannot concentrate mm. on the execution. I love They're that. just fighting for survival. So any coaching cue or direction we would throw at them, there's no adjusting. I say kids because that's yeah. mostly who I'm working with, but that goes for gen pop entering into a gym. And I know you've seen some folks go way too heavy, especially well, at the seminars. Well, the, the other one, too, is a lot like a rifle uh, with programming. People mm. just start adding things to their program, and that's the analogy. They have no of, idea. I mean, that, that's the analogy of the Christmas tree, where, <laughs> where I would look at programs, yeah. and they've yeah. just hung, hung exercises on there without any thought. And I'm like, how does this get back? Economy of time. Like, what can you get done? Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, I, like as we were, as I was prepping for the podcast, um, I was thinking a little bit about really how we first met. We got introduced by a mutual friend, Tony Blauer, mm. and uh, Jeff and I went out and worked together and he got me real proficient shooting quick. And then Jeff hits me up. It's like, Hey man, I got a problem. Mm. My wrist is fucked. Um, I haven't been able to train. I got all these injuries. Like, can you help me? And I was like, yeah, man, I mean, this is what we do. Mm. And we started our program, which was basically rebuilding Jeff Gonzalez. <laughs> and uh, it, dun, went on, dun, it, dun, it went on. It went on. It was a million dollar epic. man. Oh, dude, it was epic. I, I like I remember the day he showed up and he went through the assessment and then we went into the whiteboard and we started designing this. He was like, what the fuck is going on? Here? I still have all those notes, too, yeah. by the way. Because <laughs> I was just floored. I was like, oh, my God. But see that, and I love telling that story to people because that's like to me that's like one of my favorite success stories that I got to I got to participate in, and you know the the progressions like the way that you managed all of those progressions and in even kind of like kind of tempering my excitement like oh like I want to I want to go throttle open like just fucking full bore let's go and you were like eh, easy cowboy you know kind of toned it down a little bit and that I. I, I firmly believe that it was that, that the process, and that's the other thing that we tell people, you have to just trust the process. Yeah. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, you know, uh, an eight hour, 16 hour seminar, whether it's your seminar, whether it's my seminar, folks walk away with knowledge. Very ra rarely do they walk away mastering the application of that knowledge. Yeah. And the point is that they have to walk away with that knowledge so that they can then continue to work at the application towards mastery. And that's that's it. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And you know, the uh, and that's why I love working within like the fitness and the shooting communities because there is so much parallel between the two. You have the same problems where people come to you thinking I just well wait a minute, what if I just did that? What wouldn't that solve all my problems? Well, no. I mean, you have a lot more to have to do. It's just not that simple like it's not like a one simple step kind of process. Same thing in the shooting world. People want to know, what do I need to do to be a good shooter? And I'm like, well, it's going to take some time. You know, that's my, my, new, my new thing now is like, how do I manage their expectation when I know the answer they're asking for is how long? Mm -hmm. How long is it going to take for me 
to achieve good, you know, whatever good is to them. How oh, man, but that is so subjective. You could apply it to anything. It's like, true. Uh, like think about like, um, let's use uh, jujitsu for example. Oh, I love it. Right. Like uh, how long does it take to actually feel like you're not going to get fucking choked out? And, and that's an interesting one. A long time. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, like a, a, a guy asked me, um, he's like, man, like he was super frustrated. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, that belt around your waist, it's white, which means that nobody expects anything from you. Dude. Nobody's expecting you to come in here and fucking be like a Henzo Gracie yeah. and fucking slamming people. <laughs> like you have a carte blanche to suck. And yes. on top of it, like embrace it because at so some point true. there's going to be color around your waist and then people are going to fucking think that you know something and they're going to expect something from you. <laughs> So like relish in this, and uh, I fucking love that. And and uh, the same thing with the shooting stuff. Like it's it, it's weird at your course, um, just being naturally competitive. Like when we started it, like and, you, yeah, I know it's fucking hard. I I have this like so. I, Tex knows this. Like every day, I have this little fucking dude on my shoulder that's got like pointy ears, and then I got this other dude with a halo, and there's like a constant battle between like, hey, don't let these fucking guys beat you. No. <laughs> It's all about the process, John. You have to fucking do this. And so I have this like good versus bad. But like when we got out there and we started shooting, like uh, so humble. So if you guys don't know uh, where Jeff starts his shooting for his qual is at 20 yards, which doesn't sound 25. like 25. I'm sorry. That's right. 25 yards. Okay. Uh, we start the qual at 25 with a pistol uh, and you're basically trying to punch holes in an eight inch target at 25 which doesn't sound terrible mm. until you're all of a sudden drawing from conceal in mm. like a group of, you know, what do we have? 12, 15, 12 people. people there, yeah, 12 people. Yeah. You're lined out at 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning and bass drop. You're out there in like a, you know, deal. You're basically drawing from conceal and you're having to punch these holes. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a man sized target and you're basically trying to put, uh, you know, shots on target in the chest on an eight inch piece. And, uh, you know, you shoot and like, you know, you're pulling it out, you're putting, you know, the dot right where you want it to go. You're pulling the trigger and like, you can't really make it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden as you start getting closer and then you go down to the 20 and the 15 and the seven. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden you get to like the 10 and you're like, man, I totally fucking whiffed on that shot. I can see like whole, like, like I can see daylight up in the white. And I'm like, man, I just DQ'd this motherfucker. <laughs> it's so fucking humbling because you still have to finish the qual yeah even though i knew that like i threw pass. i i pat I, yeah i totally fucking dq'd <laughs> off of throwing this shot and uh it's not something that i regularly do when i go to the range and i shoot my uh, concealed carry yeah yeah uh, i don't start at 25 yards yeah i usually shoot like uh i'll shoot like a uh you know 10 7 5 3 kind of progression yeah uh which is like what is it the nra qual yeah that's yeah. pretty good i yeah. mean it, it i mean in all honesty the majority of defensive gun uses are going to be happening at close ranges, yes. but there's there's enough outliers, and the outliers continue to grow. That distance is going to be a condition that you're going to have to manage, and on top of that, you're much better off trying to exploit distance to your advantage, sure. so that you can take advantage of the other guy's shitty shooting skills. But uh, I mean, like, fuck, dude. Like, uh, so, like, um, on my Glock 43X that I have, like, I have what three 10 round mags for it. So mm. I'll basically stop in. I shoot 30 rounds. Yeah, and I'll, I'll sh I try like every other month to go shoot my duty loads. Nice. And uh, I'll go in there and I'll shoot like uh, what it's like uh, five at 15. Mm. I kind of do a progression down, and as soon as I'm out, I just fucking get out there because also being uh, commercial ranges scares the shit out of me. Oh yeah. Because all of a sudden you're going to see some dude over there with like one hand shooting a 44 mag with like an eight inch barrel and then another dude with like oh, an yeah. AK 47 pistol that's just like spraying and praying and you're like, oh fuck dude, I'm going to get killed in this motherfucker. It's true. But, um, 
so uh, super humbling. And then all of a sudden I get up and I can see the daylight and I'm like, fuck, I know I just DQ'd this, but you still got to shoot the qual. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, everybody, go go uh, uh, go freshen up your mags. I'm going to grade you. And then you like, and that pisses like, people off so much because they're like, I just want to look at the target. I'm like, you can see the damn target. You already know. If, yeah. you, know you already know, you know, like walking down and putting your hand on the target isn't going to change the fact that you failed. You know, it's like just just chill, relax, you know, just go and load your mags, come back and but you then you have to be okay with the process. That's and, the and that's and, and then all of a sudden I, I remember thinking like I can only go up from here. Yeah. And now you know what, we gotta have a good time. You know, we've got to take in the skills and we gotta be, you know, lighthearted. And I feel like the more that people start to like fucking grind down and I yeah. can see people there where they were like getting mad and this and this yeah. and they just got worse and worse. And I was like, Ooh, this is gonna be rough for these people. Well, it's true, you know. I mean, <clears throat> we all learn differently and we all uh, you know, sometimes that can be a good thing, like that incentive, you know, like you're incentivized to try to be a better shot or do better for whatever the, you know, whatever the correction is, the remedy that you're trying to apply. But one of the things that I think you touched on that I feel is often overlooked is if you are so wound tight, then you kind of miss out on some of the inputs that the firearm is sharing with you. You know, you're not able to see those. And that's the first step in trying to self-correct all your shooting errors is being able to, 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 to recognize the inputs that you're getting. Just like with the barbell, you know, the bars in front of you, the bars behind you, whether you know, you're doing snatches or cleans and you feel that movement or you see that movement and you know what's going on, you know, the, you know, the most likely result is that they're just not, they're not able to focus on that precision that they need for the pathway of the barbell just like they are not able to focus on the the application of precision with the firearm they're trying to shoot mm -hmm. and when they can loosen up a little bit i find that you you just taking that input in is easy. it's there it's like it's it's like that data that's just floating in the air but whether or not you actually capture it is yet to be determined and the and the more tense you are the more anxious you are the more stressed out you are the less you are to see it. Yeah, we speak to in our online academy or methodology course to help coaches identify the athlete that they're working with the competency model. Mm. So there's four stages to the competency model. The first is unconscious incompetence. Mm. This is the people that get there. They don't know what they're doing wrong. Right. And or they don't value the coaching. So if, mm. if you have ever approached somebody at the range that maybe you just want to give them a tip and they're not hearing it mm. or appreciating it. Mm. They're in this stage of unconscious incompetence and enough coaching breakdown opportunity when they realize that they need help, then they gain into conscious incompetence, meaning they know they're doing something wrong. However, they just can't quite have the coordination or the skill set. And eventually enough time, then you get to conscious competence where you really have to focus on the execution. Now with the barbell, that that's, starts to slow you down. Because mm. when we talk about sport and on the field, we want to get eventually to unconscious competence, meaning we're good foot position, change of direction, etc. Because if we're thinking about our foot position when I got to hunt down an opponent, mm -hmm. then I'm slower. So we want to mm. break through it. And I imagine, and I felt as you were speaking and creating the scenarios and painting the picture where we're going to use these skills potentially mm. in a dangerous situation where lives are on the line, we want to get to this unconscious competence where we're just doing the fundamentals very well 
so that way we can focus on our, our downfield range. Well, I love that. And, and we use the uh, exact same model. We use it a little bit differently, but it's really nice to hear how you guys apply it because it, it, is, it is strictly um, a formula or a, I, I should say like a format that if you follow it, like the, and the way I try to break it down for people is, and, and you use unconscious, we use subconscious. We're trying to break it into our subconscious, our you know the psyche aspect of it. We're trying to break it into that that point where it becomes automated. And mm-hmm. and because you're absolutely right, when you are facing you know a 300 pound animal that wants to get past you, you know all of those things that you don't have to think about means that you can think about how you're going to defeat that guy as he's coming at you. And same thing with us. You know, it's the same deal. If I'm having to think about, oh, I have to grip the gun, I have to clear the garment, I have to make sure I see my sight. If I have to think about any of that stuff. I'm not thinking about what actually may save my life, like movement or cover or, you know, working with a partner or things like that. And those are the things that, oh, man, I really get I I get wrapped around the axle with because what I see to get to that subconscious or unconscious level is a process Mm -hmm. and it's a linear progression. It's a linear progression. There's not there's no like it's just. You just got to put the work in. Mm-hmm. There's no way to get around it. There's no like secret back door to get to that subconscious Matrix level. Pl- Matrix yeah, well, if, there, if we got to that, maybe, maybe You're the like, download. Yeah, I that. can do kung fu. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> until then, <laughs> until then, there's no escaping the fact that you just have to put the work in. Yeah, it really isn't. And and, the, and when you can get to that point where and that's what I I try to I try to I, I maybe not in every class but occasionally I try to redirect a shooter to thinking about somebody that is at their peak level of performance. It could be an athlete, it could be a, munis- a musician, uh, could be whatever. But when they execute their skill, whatever it is, they make it look effortless they make it look like it's magic mm-hmm. right and what i try to get across to people is don't don't you dare look at them and not appreciate the work that they put into doing that and then don't think for a second that you're immune to that same amount of work to get to that level that they're at yeah. when you watch some of those athletes even competitive shooters watching them go it's just it's awesome they're amazing they're 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 artwork you know at that point and but I'm I'm knowledgeable enough to know what it took to get there, mm-hmm. and so I try to help students recognize that. And you know we've tried to break it down. I've I've talked about this a little bit in some cases where you know like uh, to well since you mentioned jujitsu to use their their ranking schedule their ranking format is you know colored belts you know sure. there's no there but the problem with that what people don't know is that it doesn't mean that you have to know learn these twenty moves. And you will move from white belt to blue belt. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like that. And, and so, which is good for, I think, a lot of people because then you're not focused on just trying to achieve those and you're actually paying attention to the bigger picture. Like, what all is at stake there? Well, the, um, uh, for me, what was really helpful with jujitsu was uh, reading uh, um, Salo Ribeiro's mm. uh, book. Um, I love that book. University Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. Uh, and where it was like the white belt is the the belt of survival, mm-hmm. and when you master the ability to survive, dude, like like when you can thwart everybody's defenses and like just survive, yeah. Now you can move on to like blue belt where it's like escapes. So and then it like to to me as I was reading it, dude, that was so fucking impactful to the point where like I uh, even though I know we have a methodology book, but like you know the power athlete book that we've had 
you know, on the hard drive that we've been, you know, talking about forever. It's pretty much done. <laughs> uh, it made me really realize how impactful that was for it to go because now it kind of changed my model where I'm rolling and I'm like, dude, my job is to survive this. Like yesterday we were doing like rear naked and like seatbelts. Oh, nice. Um, and like having to basically just be realized like I'm probably not going to get out of this, but if I don't get choked in three minutes, I'm probably I'm like, I'm, I'm winning. Dude. And I so, and, and then the minute that I started going for escapes, I kept getting fucking choked. Yeah. And then I came home and it looked like I had been like fucking my neck was all tore up and shit. But um, it, it's true. Like every day I go in there, I'm not focused on submissions. I'm not focused Dude. on doing anything fucking badass. All I'm focused on is survival. There's an interesting kind of dichotomy there. <clears throat> like, and, and I, I love being able to kind of share that, uh, that experience too, because what you learn, what you learn from that experience is like you were saying how valuable how important defense is right and and the um you know i think all the greats emphasize that and they make it your principal goal in the beginning is your number one job is to survive but not just to survive on luck but to survive on skill so your defense has to be so good and you know the the, the better the opponent the better your defense has to be so when you think about it from uh, like, at what point do you feel like you have earned the rank of a blue belt? You know, that is, you know, again, that's another, that's another harder question to answer, but in the shooting world, you know, when do you move from the yeah, beginner to the basic? That's pretty interesting. Like, I mean, if you think, um, uh, is there, okay. Cause you can't quantify it with rounds Yeah. because, well, if, because here's the thing, like, like we went to your course and we shot a thousand rounds, yes. which for, for those of you guys that have never done a shooting course is a fucking shit ton <laughs> for most people like, right. like to come. Right. I mean, it, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Like most courses aren't going to, and you were pretty damn close in your round count. I think I left with like maybe half a box, like it's 10 you sucked. You didn't shoot off. <laughs> you didn't make it down the ring on those drills. <laughs> well, no, but you also <laughs> calculate in when we have to like, you know, there's one in the mag or one in the pipe and then we clear. Well, um, what I, what I do is I do best case. So you as a shooter that actually uh, was not eliminated on any stage of any of those elimination matches, mm -hmm. you made it through all of them. That's where the round count goes. So mm -hmm. if you don't make it to one of the stages or you don't advance past a certain stage, then all the rounds. That's why I had extra. Yeah. I, well, I got a lot left. You, yeah, well, uh, but, uh, but that's an interesting deal. Like, um, you know, with the barbell and within training um, and what's and I'll get, let you guys in on a little secret. Uh, the stuff that I did with Jeff all those years ago was really foundation for grindstone. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. that was like the grindstone yeah. where because Jeff had to travel a ton. Yeah. And so I needed him to be flexible enough. And when, at the time we were working with Bill Bradley, um, and uh, hold on, let me turn this thing off. Oh, so we were working fuck. with with Bill Bradley. I know. Um, and uh, and I was working with Jeff about the same time, so I was able to almost test it on two different individuals. So it was pretty exciting in yeah. that way. But. Um, to, to bring it back, like with, uh, with barbell training, um, we have weight in terms of proficiency. Like, yes. have you reached a certain level of strength? Correct. Are there certain things that you can master? Yeah. And there's, you know, there's no way to short circuit the process. The time is the time. The work is the work. It is. But I also wonder with the shooting stuff, if people are like, well, you know, I've shot 10,000 rounds this month. For sure. You know, I should be. And you're like, well, yeah, but how many of them were just like, you know, you're trying to bend the bullet like you <laughs> wanted or, you know, like, so like, true. like how much are meaningful where you're under toolage and you're in an environment that's pushing you to be better? Better. So I, I've started this. I've uh, my next book is actually, is actually trying to quantify that, to actually put that in concrete terms, or as concrete terms as I can get it. And so far, I've managed to map out most of them. And I'm using uh, I'm using 
um, beginner, basic, intermediate, advanced, elite, right? So those are the five levels, if you will. And the, the, the hard part is that it's a, um, it's a pretty steep, you know, climb in the beginning. And then it's, it's, it's more of a plateau once you get to the back end to the advanced and elite level. And so from, for, for most people that are looking to get into the, to the sport or the art of shooting defensively, what I tell them is that you're going to need approximately 80 hours before you move from the beginner to the basic level. And in that 80 hours, you're going to fire approximately 3,500 rounds. And it's mapped out in a couple of different ways. For instance, 80 hours, you could take five 16-hour classes, right? So, two, you know, that's one 16-hour class that you went to. You did five of those, and that would put you close to the 80 hours. And you would well exceed that 3,500. So the 3,500 is like a minimum. Mm-hmm. So you would well exceed that. Um, and then we have, like, um, milestones at each of those steps. Like, you should be able to complete this and to this standard, to move on to the next one. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is like most everybody is still, according to what I'm looking at, the vast majority are still at the beginner level. You know, like just really being, if if we're being honest, the vast majority of people, and when I say 80 hours, 80 hours of formalized instruction Mm -hmm. or training. So you could either go to a two-day seminar, a two-day class, you can go into like a couple hours of private instruction. You can actually do some well thought out planned pro professional development yourself. Um, you know, you can work with a group of other people that you go out there. So that's all part of it. It's not just you have to do five classes. I, I, I measured it based around some of the experiences and uh, of watching other shooters, other students that we've kind of mentored through this process and kind of like using them as the as the as the guinea pigs, if you will. And not all of them went, not all of them did classes. Some of them took the, you know, they went to one, maybe two classes, and then they started to really refine their game by working with somebody that knew what to, to help their weaknesses were. They knew what their weaknesses were from the classes. They got somebody that was good to help them with their weaknesses, and they used that to help supplement those 80 hours. And, and they did really good. And the interesting thing about watching those guys, and I've got about a dozen of those students that we've been watching, is how far above their peers they are by following this kind of like template it's really interesting to see that so because it's not it's not wasteful it's efficient it's it's long it's 80 hours you know that that's uh, if you did if you did one class a year that's five years yeah. right or you know if you did you know maybe two classes a year that's like two and a half years so you know that's like it's time but that's what we we're talking about it's a process you know like yeah. i did not get to those heavy lifts for like what it's like a year and a half or yeah. something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say it was a legitimate uh, like 24, 20, I remember it was like 20, 24 months yeah. of like preparatory development Fuck, work, dude. like dead bugs, all the other fucking shit that we yeah. did, but just like isometric contractions, developing stability yeah. in the hand, finding the right positions, yeah. developing shoulder flexibility. I mean, all of those things. And then all of a sudden, like what was cool is we did all the work and then you were like, holy shit, I'm fucking strong. <laughs> And like he could do all this stuff. He's like, I feel like I'm, I'm capable now. Yeah, like, but totally. like, but there was a whole lot of like, uh, and you know, like everybody you want to run before you walk, Fuck but dude. if you don't do the preparatory work. So I, I know with the shooting stuff, uh, it's such a perishable skill. Yeah. This episode of power athlete radio is powered by train heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. 
We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. That's the other thing. So like get, go, moving from the beginner to basic, there is uh, this, you're, just because you're at the basic level now doesn't mean you stay at the basic level. You know, like if you're not putting the work in to maintain that skill, then you potentially could fall back into the beginner level. And the, that, would be, that would be determined by you're not able to meet the standards at the basic level. You are now only able to meet the standards at the beginner level. Mm-hmm. And that's because you're not maintaining that through. If, if you follow the process that we are laying out, then um, the, the reason why you're not meeting those standards is because you have stopped. It's not because you're not following the process. If you continue to follow the process, even if that process is elongated, because I don't know, I could have two people, I could have one person that has a lot of time on their hand, I could have another person that has almost zero time on their hand. But if they're both put in in the same amount of work when they can, theoretically one person will meet those standards sooner than the other, but they're both gonna meet them. And if they both maintain them at the same intervals that they're training at, then they'll, they'll, you know, it all, it all comes out at the wash at the end. So it's interesting to kind of watch the, the progressions for people. And I'm sure you get to see this, uh, you know, a lot watching people in your field of expertise. And the, the thing that I like the most is when they, you know, like you were saying, when all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm strong. When they can acknowledge, oh my God, I can actually shoot. Well, fuck, if you got to shoot, I mean, like, let's say we lift weights for an hour a day. Yeah. If you had a, an hour a day of, like, dry firing 50 rounds, doing the drills, like, doing your card stuff. Yep. I mean, shit, dude, like, you would be, if you were doing that five days a week, I mean, within, like, four or five months, you would be fucking pretty far along. It's true. But but the problem is, is, like, you know, like, for me, what, I shoot, what, like, every three weeks? When yeah. I'm driving by and I swing by and I shoot for 30 minutes, you yeah. know? And it's, like, uh, but then I dry fire. So if I'm going to carry concealed, I make sure, like... And uh, I'm really glad, too, that uh, this happened at the class. Um, I learned how to shoot concealed from you. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, the thumb and all the stuff. I mean, like, you know, like being able to, like, when it's loose, pull it this way. I mean, all those things that... uh, you showed us I've used because I never learned any other way. <laughs> and then I, we were people in the class that hadn't learned your stuff. We're yeah. like, well, I don't like this and this. And the one guy was like, I like to do this two hand. And you're like, well, what if you had to fight with one hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you had another yeah. guy on top of you yeah, yeah. and you had to get, you know, your weapon engaged, yeah, yeah. you know, do you have the skills? And I think that's one thing I think about all the time. Like, you know, I mean, it'd be real great if you're just out there, but you might be in a defensive situation where, you know, yeah. a dude comes into you and you're fucking bracing and having to, you well, know, draw, draw your weapon. A, a lot of that, and that's a good point too, because I don't blame them per se. I think what they have is a very nearsighted view on reality. You know, they're not thinking it through. And that's why I have to have that kind of train of logic drill with them where I kind of walk them through, well, what if you're in this scenario and you have your kid and you're holding your child in your arm? Yeah. Like I was that first time that I had to deal with that. And, or what if you're injured and you don't have access to your arm? Um, there's so many reasons and so many, you know, and you, the, the, the point that I try to get across to people is like, like you can do it however you want. If you want to use two hands to clear your cover garment, go for it. But just realize 
that you're putting yourself at a significant disadvantage since most defensive gun uses are close. And when they're close, the biggest mistake that people make is thinking that they'll have time and distance to actually clear their cover garment and get their gun out. When in reality, they won't. Probably not. Which, uh, which I, I learned at Craig's course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, I was within seven yards of a dude, and he had a blue pistol in a holster, yeah. and he couldn't clear the garment before I fucking smashed him. Yeah, but that that was your profession for ten years. <laughs> it's called run blocking, John. Yeah, but. <laughs> If we have to prepare for the fucking worst case scenario, like isn't like if uh, an ex NFL <laughs> lineman running straight at you, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, I you, would agree with you on that. 100%. You're like, okay, I'm at this fucking pistol class and this fucking gorilla shows up. It's like, uh, it, it was funny. This dude was like, hey, uh, were you a professional wrestler or something? I'm like, no, but I did play in the NFL for a decade. He's like, yeah, I figured you did something. Um, you know? <laughs> You're just too big, too strong, too agile, too athletic. Yeah, yeah. for fuck you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So yes. I, I get it, but like I, I think like uh, for me and I and Jeff and I had a great conversation. One thing, um, uh, Craig's class isn't a shooting course. I think he yeah. has shooting, so he developed proficiency, so he knows that people's shitting is all in one sock, right? Yeah. To like quote Dave Brewer, um, but. Um, uh, the one thing that was really fascinating for me was I had never really like, I don't know, like I just never had uh, like the scenarios hadn't really entered my mind. True. Uh, like, okay, hey, you're standing there and I'm here and this guy, like, I'll tell you this, the thing I left there with, uh, just a side note, I'm a lot more nervous of a dude with a knife than a gun. Oh, yeah. Because like uh, in a defensive situation, a dude can fucking stab a knife, whereas going for the pistol is slow. Yeah. So it's almost to the point where like if a dude had a gun and it was undercover, I know I can cover the distance way faster where if he had was brandishing a knife, I'm going to fucking sprint the other way. <laughs> I, I've seen like enough of those like uh, stabby videos where I want no part of, fucking, of a knife. Like gun. So Sean Connery and the Untouchables was wrong. Uh, yeah. Leave it, it to an Irishman to bring a knife to a gunfight. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll just, I, I mean, and that, and we watched a bunch, Craig showed a bunch of those videos and it's like, you know, even a cop trying to get it out of the holster, dudes were able to get to the hand and fucking light the cop up and he didn't have a defensive. So I, I think that the, um, you know, also what, what, uh, you know, what I liked about Jeff's deal, especially clearing clever garment, using this arm to be able to push away, to be able to get distance. And now all of a sudden as I'm recovering, yeah. you know, and I might shit, who knows, I might stumble to the ground, get my pistol out and then be able to shoot from a, you know, on my back. Like that's a very real situation. Oh, it's so true. You know, and, and that's, that was just, you know, that's our level two class and the level three class, you do a lot of like what we consider to be, um, the more practical side, you know? And when we, when we teach you that first uh, method of to defeat methodology, it is ultimately to get you to the next one, which is where you're protecting your draw stroke, mm. right? You use that we can to protect or guard your draw stroke. And, you know, then you start doing it from all different directions and positions and conditions and blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think people take for granted is that, and uh, I've, I've heard the term described as planning fallacy meaning that they overestimate their abilities and underestimate the complications of the scenario. Hmm. And so, yeah. Isn't that the majority of life? Pretty much. Where, where you basically oversold your abilities and under fucking... Uh, delivered. Yeah, under yeah, delivered. Yeah, 100%. But this was interesting because there's like science behind this. It's got a name, planning fallacy. It's like, fuck, dude, this is like legit. So the majority of people have this, it, 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 like as a uh, as a daily... 
mindset in a sense like you know we overestimate like for instance if you're gonna drive to you know you're gonna head down to uh, to the range and you're gonna leave in the morning and you're gonna say i'm gonna be i'm gonna meet meet text there it's gonna take me you know 30 minutes to get there i'll meet you there at 9 30 right but but really what you should have said was mm, shit this is austin i got traffic it's in the morning uh i'll meet you there at 9 45 and if i get there early it's great but that's the that's the thing we're we're kind of like using the idea that we'll um, the best case scenario is going to happen. We're, we're, we're hoping mm. the best case scenario is what we get to deal with. It's like that roulette wheel. I'll oh, just land on the best case for me. You know, there's 99 bad cases, but I want it to land on the one good case. That's, that's me. That's what I'm hopeful for, you know? And, and the reality is that you've got 99 bad cases that you're most likely going to have to deal with, but you're not planning to deal with them. And that's the mindset shift that I think a lot of people make when they get put in those situations. Like you go to, like we have a force on force class that's concealed carry only. You just, everything is all from concealed carry. And a lot of people are put in situations where it's like, oh, like just watching, just watching the thought process grind to a halt and them literally being the proverbial deer in the headlights in the middle of the scenario. And we have to coach our role players that when you see this, and you will, you'll see it in some of the students. You know, if we have a class of like, let's just easy number 10, you're gonna see that deer in the headlights in probably four. 40% of the students are just gonna be like, and you have to almost like soft toss them the rest of the scenario so they can have a positive out of it. So they, they don't just get pummeled by it because that, uh, that could also be really self-defeating. And when I, uh, when we expose them to these more like, and, and some of it is uh, more emotional because it's like, holy shit, I never thought about some fucking giant ass man come running at me from seven yards. How am I going to deal with this? Right. They just hadn't thought it through, but, but the, the, value the benefit to doing that is that it makes you forces you to rethink all your techniques all of your gear all of your training everything that you're doing like instead of going for two hands now your default is one because the probability that you will be close is high the probability that you might have to guard will be high the probability that you might have to shield will be high so when people finally come to that crossroads it's like Ooh, thank God we're here. Finally, I can now we can actually train. Mm. Now we can actually get down to the nitty gritty and actually work hard. Until then, it's like I have to sell it. Like it's like it's so like I'm uh, like I'm trying to sell you ice cream on the Nile River. You know, it's like fuck, it's hard. Well, we battle that a lot in the world of strength and conditioning because there's so much information out there. It's mm. so easily accessible, right? And we refer to it as getting a position that you can learn. So we bring. Tell coaching. me more about that. We bring coaches, we establish a baseline. This is our online course. Mm -hmm. So they go through our methodology. We cite every resource. If they want to continue down the rabbit hole, it is provided there for them. Mm -hmm. But we take Russian literature and apply some senses of humor to it and make, <laughs> it, make it more applicable to their current day and design the course so that they're applying the information as they're learning it and it's, it's starting to avail Okay, this is the coordination, this is the setup, this is the execution, the ah, okay. pitfalls. So by the time they finish the course, three yeah. months or so, then they're in a position that they can learn. Ah. So they understand the basics that are going to help their athletes. They understand the, the foundation of the power athlete methodology. And now we can start to have higher level conversations that are still performance related versus you know tables and charts and percentages. Nice. I like well, that. It, is it because that there's so much information at our fingertips that it almost becomes like a, a paralysis through analysis 
Where I mean, I mean, uh, like, like I, I know this happens in the training space. I mean, it happens within uh, our space, and I know it happens within Jeff's space because uh, now all of a sudden there's like this interesting component of like now there's a tool which is going to allow me to port through. Mm-hmm. So like now I have uh, guns, mm. and like this gun will allow me to be better. So now you have like all of these different. <laughs> I mean, shit, dude. Like everybody in your class was shooting something different. And, and so, like everybody's in this different thing, and that that first time that I went out to that course out in um, Angeles Crescent, oh yeah, yeah, uh, there were dudes that were changing guns like they were fucking guitar techs <laughs> at the Rolling Stones show. <laughs> Every evolution, these guys were like, ah, oh, this one's not shooting well, and this because yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it wasn't a concealed class. Yeah, it was actually like a pistol class. So these dudes had all these like race rigs. They like it looked looked like a skeleton that you popped the gun out yeah. of, and all this wacky shit. And these guys had red dots and this and this. I mean, it was I was like the fuck is all this stuff and i remember this guy got butt hurt when i told him i was like yo man you probably should have just got a gym membership (laughs) with like half of one of these pistols i I did want to talk about that how we can get there how big of a limiting factor fitness is oh some of these guys don't get me started on that one man well i mean your your course was long and it was demanding physically but like uh uh, like it's not as if it it, it wasn't like we were running 100 meter fucking sprints so but i mean you gotta be fairly durable to be out there and to be able to move and step and do all that but like, I mean, the, the course that the first one that I went to with you, um, which was that uh, it wasn't a concealer. It was just a, I think it was yeah, like pistol sh- two. pistol two. Yeah. Um, we were fucking running. So do you we remember did, yeah, we were doing we all those sprints back <laughs> and mad, forth? Mad bullet dash. I remember yeah. that. And those dudes were absolutely fucking destroyed. Yeah. Or when we, you know, we, and we, okay. So we might as well, we might as well like uh, unpack that genie from the bottle there on the, on the fitness stuff. Because I, I just had this conversation. We may even talked a little bit about it. I just had this conversation with uh, Mark Ripto on my podcast about, you know, I'll get these students that will ask me, what's the, hey, uh, what drill should I be, be practicing to get better? You know, what, what gun should I get to be better? And in my head, I was thinking, well, what you need to do is just get stronger. But that's not what they want to hear. They want to hear uh, they need this drill. They need this gun. They need this number of rounds fired, whatever. And so Mark gave me some shit about you, you, you know, you didn't tell them what they needed to hear. You told them what they wanted to hear. And I'm like, I know, you know, there's also the business side of this, but, but he's absolutely right. And so where does the fitness come in? I will tell you straight up that the more fit you are, obviously the, the more durable, resilient you are to survive a real deadly force encounter. But where it has extreme value is in your ability to stay, um, or a better way to put it, is your ability to stay focused in mental, mentally. Because if you are physically under duress, your mental capacity to stay focused on the simple tasks of like just aligning the sights and, and squeezing the trigger are severely diminished with time like you know when you when you do a thousand rounds in two days you are going to find that fatigue is going to set in but it's not it's not physical fatigue it's the mental fatigue of just having to think oh shit that's right i keep because you you know whether it's by accident or on purpose you you have um suboptimal habits habits that lead to bad outcomes, right? So that's the whole point. We're trying to change those. In order for you to change those habits, you have to be focused on trying to change them or they're just going to continue to be repeated and further embedded into your system, into your technique. And then it's going to be even harder to try to get rid of them. (laughs) So the more fit you are from a training perspective, all right, the, the, 
the higher your attention to detail, the higher your capacity for attention to detail. And when you have that high level of capacity for attention to detail, your ability to apply the corrective strategies that we're giving you is higher. Your success rate at seeing those changes is sooner. So you see the, the positive effects of what I'm telling you much sooner. And then your ability to ride that wind wave, that wind, you know, that wave of positivity throughout the rest of the course and continue to see positive growth throughout the rest of the course is, is truly impressive. When you don't have that, it is harsh. It's, it's a, it's a beat down. Like guys get home and I'm not saying that I'm not tired too. I get time, you know, I'm tired just focusing on trying to teach you guys this stuff. Well, it's also uh, emotionally, um, like I, like we've taught a lot of seminars and, uh, the emotional component of trying to get people not to kill themselves. Yeah. I can't imagine your deal, especially with like, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other ball game. But when, when I can have a student that has a, let's just say, above average fitness condition, then I know that they will, not only do I know that they will have the mental capacity to thwart the the fatigue condition, but they'll also have just all the other attribute, the positive attributes that go along with being an athlete, being a physically fit specimen that has that athleticism at their core. That's so valuable. Like when I have had, whether they be professional athletes like yourself or Olympic athletes, um, you know, just working with them is like such a pleasure because they understand it. They get it. They already, you know, they've already reached their peak in their, their field of expertise. Me coming in and just working with them on these little things makes, it's just so easy. I had this one. It was a. It was back when we were doing. No, it was. A, it was still doing. We were still doing two day rifle classes, and for a female to come through a rifle class, that's that's tough, you know. Especially when the rifles are heavy. That's why another, you know, eight pounds is like really pushing it. No more than eight pounds. Seven pounds or even six and a half pounds is ideal. So um, I had a young lady come. Uh, she was going to attend the the rifle class, but she wanted the day before to do a private, and she was a gifted athlete. Uh, physical, you know, uh, she was a. A crossfitter but also a competitive like powerlifter so she had she had skills in that sense and she had won some some titles for her region and whatnot so she was legit and working with her on taking her already above average physicality and then just applying it towards learning how to shoot simple really easy it was like it was a i wouldn't say it was a walk in the park uh, because you know there's that initial breakthrough threshold where you got to break through and then once you break through it's like now we're we're smooth sailing right and so when it came to the rifle class it was awesome to watch how well she performed amongst her peers who had maybe a similar kind of setting as far as firearm exposure you know she had had like she grew up with uh you know uh, brothers and, and father that were into firearms. So she she kind of knew how to shoot of sorts. She knew how to be safe with them at least, but she didn't really understand uh, the aspects of that, the, the sport itself. And then, man, it was just awesome to watch that. I mean, I just sat back there was like, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's that, like, like, that little that little shitting and grin of pride. Like, mm, yep, there. that's what it works. That's how it works right there. 
Um, she just outperformed everybody. I mean, she didn't shoot. She wasn't the top shooter in the class, but she was uh, for an entry level person coming into there and just dominating it from both a physical and performance point of view. Awesome. So I love that. I mean, if I could have, if I could do that, I it's just, it's so you know, even when I would go back and work with, with my guys or even, even any other counterpart, it was always awesome to watch that because that physical, that physicality was there. I didn't have to worry about it. And that what that meant was that we could bypass a lot of stuff and get right into the nitty gritty. And, and that made the training much more, much more valuable for me, but also for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the one thing Mark Ripito is really good at, and I love Rip to death is, uh, he's really good at handing out the poison pill. The poison pill. Yeah. Whereas like, uh, you just need to be stronger. And I'm like, yeah, like, in uh, I remember Rip and I talking and he's like, you know, uh, aerobic capacity and cardio is bullshit. Just lift weights faster. And I'm like, I really think you got to build that big aerobic base. It's gotta be a, a foundation of both of those. So I'm excited to listen to your podcast. Oh yeah. 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 We didn't get, we didn't go too much into the, the, that kind of stuff. I, 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 I'm, I'm hopeful that we will in the future, like get into some of that stuff. Um, because I think this was just a, a nice, kind of feeling out process. And I think he really liked the, he liked the, he liked the discussion. Mm. Like we had good discussion. Like one of the things that I loved about our discussion, and I know that you can appreciate this as trainers is you have made, if not every mistake, you've come close to making every mistake there is within like what moving the barbell, you know, just doing it for as long as you have been doing it, you've made those mistakes. And as a result of having made those mistakes, you've had to learn how to correct them. You take that information and that becomes your corrective strategies that you pass to your clientele, your students, your coaches, and all the other people that you come into contact with. So you have a faster way of reaching the student who is struggling because you have already struggled. You've already been there and done that. And so the the experience that you bring, not only through the capacity of what you teach, but the experience of your failures and how to overcome them was huge. And that's what I was like, we, that, that conversation, I was like, that's, I think that's probably going to be the gold nugget of the, of the, of the podcast is that conversation. And which is the one that we led with, we led right into that, just like, boom, dropped it right on him right there. And he was just like, he was off to the races at that point. So I think that kind of helped is that we, we talked about really salient points that matter to him, but also matter to a lot of other people in various industries and whatnot, you know, that's applicable no matter who you are. Well, there's a, um, like there's an interesting piece where I, I'd like it in, uh, you know, you always think about like, I mean, Chris brought up like the four part model, mm. but like you go through this thing where you make mistakes and like, you don't know what, like what mistakes you're making until all of a sudden you kind of get like a, almost like the, you know, a little clairvoyant in such a way to be yes. like, ah, and you look back and think, oh shit, dude, here's mistakes. And then you kind of progress it and you make more and more. And, um, I think that if you're, if you ever get to the point where you're afraid of making a mistake, it ends right. up hindering you. And For so, sure. But then you're like, like. I don't know. I'd like it's uh, it's kind of hard to visualize for me, but like uh, even in the shooting stuff when we were at the course, like uh, still getting feedback on things that I know that I was actively looking to do. Kind of like something that I do is I constantly like ride my trigger up on the top part, and I know it pushes shots. Whereas I try to like angle it down. Yes. And we've been talking about that for years. Yes. And when I draw the pistol, I physically try to push my finger down into the trigger guard. Yeah. And I still wasn't doing it. And you were like, dude. And I felt like, damn, I'm like, we've been talking about this. It, it's actually part of my process where I come out. I actually do this into the trigger. And uh, and you're like, no, you keep fucking doing it. And I was like, god damn it. 
<laughs> so uh, like even when you're trying to like you know you know the mistakes that you're making yeah and i can see where like my groupings were so yeah. i knew the mistake because yes. do you remember you used to have that diagnostic yeah where it was like where the ribbon rounds were hitting like you're you yeah. know, too far in the finger yeah, yeah, so yeah. i mean like i know exactly down to the left i know exactly what i'm doing yeah and I was still doing it, and I was trying to correct it and not correcting it. Oh, it's, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. It's super frustrating. And, and, and there's like, um, so there, there's a couple of things that I talk about with regards to this, uh, the corrective strategies. And I try to, I try to, you know, in the carry two class, it's not necessarily a marksmanship centric course, so we don't really get too too deep into this. It's implied that you should have a, a minimum standard. Is there of, a carry one course? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't typically do them on the road much just because the the return on investment is better for the carry two you know we're putting people in the field that's a little bit more competent in, with a carry two so i'd rather spend my time there um, not that i don't appreciate carry one but we also have the carry three which is the force on force stuff where the the integrated combatives and so that that's the next block so i if i can i, I can only focus so many hours into uh, a couple of these programs so i choose the top half versus the bottom half sure um but when it comes to the the learning process and i try to instill in students in like a level two class it's marksmanship centric which is you need to be prepared to fail and you're going to fail and you're going to fail a lot and it's not so much the failure i mean as long as you're safe as you're making these failures the key thing about these failures is that you need to look at them as as guides these they're going to tell you what you're doing wrong like when you say oh low left i know exactly what i'm doing and so what i try to get across to people is like don't look at you know yes like manage your expectations about what the outcome from this course is going to be you're you may you may have an uh, an error that is easy to fix and luck luck was on your side okay then you might be one of these other groups of individuals that have been doing the same mistake for years hundreds if not thousands of rounds to reinforce it and it's just going to take time but what you have to do in order to start the process of of replacing that habit with your new habit is that you have to identify what it is that you want to change you have to intercept it before it happens you have to replace it with the preferred movement or activity and then you have to repeat it so identify intercept replace and repeat and what happens is when you don't know where you might know what you're doing wrong, but the intercept point where you need to focus to make that change, that's what's critical. It's the intercept point, because if you don't intercept the old technique, you'll never be able to replace it with a new technique. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, like when we when people are talking about, I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated, I'm frustrated. I'm not changing. I'm not getting better. I'm like, okay, well, slow down. Let's hold on just for a second. Are you able to know what, you know, we've already identified what they're doing wrong. Are you able to, and this is the other problem. Are you able to see the error in real time? So if you can't see the error in real time, you're never going to be able to correct it. Like I can tell you what you're doing wrong. Right. And I can tell you what you need to do to correct it. But until you see the error happening in real time, it's not going to it's not going to really change. I mean, it's just like at that point, it's just like it's like craps. You're rolling the dice. Maybe you get it. Maybe you don't. So to increase the odds of changing, you need to be able to see it in real time, which generally means that you have to be moving at a speed that you can see each step being performed. 
So just like any other, you know, barbell movement, you have to see each step. You have to visualize that step being performed flawlessly or as close to flawless as necessary in order for you to be successful. You know, the heavier the weight, the closer to flawlessness you need to be. The faster the speed of shooting, the closer to flawlessness you need to be. So it's the same kind of theory in that sense. And, and, and by managing their expectations and encouraging them to be able to see the error in real time, it actually, a lot of times, the moment they can start to see the error in real time, they are already correcting it without even knowing it. Because they've had to put that much attention to detail in what they're doing. And so in a roundabout way, by encouraging them to be able to see the error as they're, as it's, as they're making the error, they start to pay attention to that error and then they automatically start to change it. Even though there's a system in place to do it, once they see it, poof, they start to change it. That's, that's what I did appreciate about the 25 yards. Because <laughs> that little mistake that we're making over that distance, it's very apparent. Well, it's, it's pretty interesting. If you shoot up close, yeah, you yeah. can almost will the bullet where you want it. Yeah, that's a good way so to like say it. Like, like I, I know that my mechanics were off. But I was almost able to like will it yeah, where I wanted yeah. it to go. And then all of a sudden when you take like 15, like the willing is more of like an ask. <laughs> and then you go out to like 25 and you're just fucking praying. Begging, yeah, begging. And you're like, please. <laughs> and what's so fucking frustrating for me is like as I draw it out, I like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good on like in terms of like mechanics. Like once I develop the mechanic, like I can do it the same Absolutely. way exactly. Absolutely. Whereas like, you know, like you start watching people and you're like, man, like. Every fucking rep is different. Different. Whereas, like, I, you know, so for me to be able to draw and push the gun yeah. out and then, like, know where it cracks off and have everything going through my line in the checklist and not have it hit, then you start <laughs> second guessing. Oh, oh and then yeah. you're like, it's my gun. Well, no, it's well, no, my gun. no, I know it's not the gun. I know you do, yeah, but I know it's not the gun. Yeah. But then, then you start second guessing it and you're like, well, uh, it's not like I have a fucking a B switch that I can go to. Yeah. I have to try to fucking work within the framework at which I'm, I'm at. Oh my God. So then you're looking at it. You're like, all right, like, uh, you know, is my finger right? And then am I getting too deep in the, onto the trigger? Yep. Like, you know, where am I at? So then you start making these small adjustments. And then the problem is, is when you're shooting at 25, there's no instant feedback No, because I can't see it and it's not steel. <laughs> so then I'm like shooting and I'm like, oh yeah, that's on the money. And then as you're walking up, you're like, oh, I don't see any light in the black. And then you start Shit. scanning and then you're like, fuck. So it's kind of a mind fuck in that way. Yeah, that's true too. You know, whereas yeah. if we were shooting steel, yeah, yeah, yeah. you could like see it hit, you oh, hear yeah. the, you know, the automatic rapport. So it's, uh, it was good. And uh, I just knew that if we didn't keep laughing and cracking jokes <laughs> and having fun, yeah. it would just fucking go to negative town. And to the point where like, I was even trying to like joke around with the other guys and I could see them and I'm like, ah, you know what? Like as long as you don't fucking shoot your dick off, you're fine. And, <laughs> and then I told the one dude, I was like, just shoot over the fucking deal and just try to miss it completely so that Jeff won't see it. That's what I was thinking to stop getting disqualified. If How about if I don't even hit the target? Yeah, it's just, not a miss. Just shoot it. Or the other one, which he said, shoot is if you bird. shoot somebody else's target, you're fucking out. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to be very funny when I'm shooting Texas target. <laughs> well, it's funny because I was aiming at yours. That DQ that you had, I was, I was way Dude, off. if you fucking shot my target, I would fucking laugh and be like, well played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I have a story about that. I was working with this. Uh, I was doing a class. Um for a department in uh, Northern California. And they had half the, t half the class was the firearms trainers and the other half were, were the SWAT team guys. 
And well, no, 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 no. It was only two or three guys from the SWAT team. Sorry. And one of the guys was the um, the team captain or the team leader. I can't remember if they call him a captain or not. But you know, in the class, uh, in that rifle class, that was a rifle three class, which is a much more much more challenging course. Uh, the last drill, uh, what ended up happening was somebody shot on his target. It was a complete accident, but somebody did shoot on his target and put a shot on the white. We counted up all the shots. We knew who it was. There was one shot missing from one target, an extra shot on this other target. It was in the white, and he DQ'd. And as a result, he didn't pass it. That that was enough to put him below 80, right? And so he was pissed, you know. And I thought for sure, because he was vetting the class. Yeah. And I thought for sure, we're not going to get a call from this guy. But like a week later, he, you know, he reaches out. And he's like, hey, you know, that was a great class. I really think our, our team will benefit from this. I want to bring you out. Great. Cool. Like the next year we go out and we do the same class. Same fucking drill. Somebody shot on his target. DQ'd him again. And he failed the second time. <laughs> he was so fucking pissed. It was, and I think that time it was purposeful. Yeah, because you told the story about it. Well, and... no, uh, uh, the because well, I we we did we we didn't make it a big deal, but we went ahead and we did an audit of everybody that was near him, and we found out whose round was it was missing, and we figured out you know that it was this guy's, and it was one of his guys from the team that was there, so he knew about it. He the there were two, there was three of them, and the there was two others watching, so they knew what had happened. So. I'm pretty sure that it was uh, relayed by to, design. Yeah, it was relayed to the team that this happened. And so they were like, well, we'll just fuck him one more time because <laughs> why not? Right. <laughs> well, didn't. when you shoot somebody else's target, you never get it in the like. I mean, if you shot it in the black, it's fine. But yeah. then people are like, so you got to almost just throw a random shot. For sure. And absolutely. And, and, and it's it's it sucks. But, uh, you know, there was one thing that you, you mentioned that I wanted to kind of hit on. Ooh, damn, I got lost in my train of thought there. I can't remember now. Fuck. Well, we were... Oh, the 25. You were talking about the 25. And one of the things that I like about shooting at the 25 is that it does... It, it creates a, it, it creates an environment of honesty mm. where I don't have to listen to your bullshit. I don't have to... You don't have to feed me any of your bullshit because it's it's either a hit or a miss. You yeah. either you either got your hits or you didn't. And if you didn't get your hits, cool, no big deal. Let's figure out why. Why why is more important than you stroking your ego and trying to create this uh, like image for yourself that is. False. I call it the thin candy shell to protect your ego. Thin where candy where shell. you're like, uh, yeah. I need a thin candy shell. Whereas I knew I missed, and you just talking shit to me. I'm like, I know it sucks. <laughs> I have zero fucking qualms about this. I'd like, I mean, <laughs> like now if I was fucking laser beaming and I'm in there and it was like a, you know, three fucking inch group at 25 with like five rounds, I would have been like, eat a dick. Like, <laughs> I would have been talking shit a to whole everybody. Bag of dicks. Oh, I, I would have been fucking running my mouth. But like, fuck, I mean, it's, uh, we, we had that one cop dude that was shooting those fucking laser beams. He was doing great. But he, he shoots, you could tell he shoots a lot. He did. And, and, and uh, one of the guys made a, like, I ran into one of the guys after the class, and he made a comment. He's like, you know, the, the uh, like, if that guy can't pass, then, you know, why? And, or, or t he just had, a, uh, like, he was disappointed that that guy failed and thought. Well, he, he got, what, a 70? No, he didn't fail. No. Excuse me. He, he got, like, final score is a 79. Yeah. But where he. 80s passing, though, right? 80s passing. Yeah. Yeah, his mistake was. He missed a few shots that 
he shouldn't have. But the reason why he missed them was because they were far enough outside of his skill set that he couldn't rely on that subconscious competence. Competence right. that he uh, he had to actually be conscious to be competent, and he wasn't. And as a result, those misses, which they weren't DQs, they were just misses, but yeah. they, you know, the cumulative effect of those misses caught, caught up to him yeah. because, you know, it's not just one test. It's, it's, there's nine tests in the class. Oh, I, I thought it was three quals. There are a total of nine that so you shoot. Nine. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, and, and that's why I tell everybody on day one, just assume every round is a graded round. Just assume every shot you fire, there's a test assigned to it. That yeah. way I don't have to listen to you bitch and complain. Well, but he, I mean, also in law enforcement, he's shooting out of a holster. For yeah. the majority of time, and now you're asking him to shoot concealed. Which right. Is... So there's that too. Absolutely. And, and he he's a extremely competent shooter. And he even in the, as as an offline debrief to me, he he commented about how his shooting at the distance was gravely below his expectations for himself, mm. and how he really was hoping. You know, he was really kind of disappointed in that. And he <clears throat> like there are some. There are some shooters that have a solid skill set on the marksmanship stuff, and they're taking in all the knowledge from the concealed side. And there are others that don't, and they have to try to, mar you know, they have to just try to muddle their way through. In this case, one of the things that he took away was, you know, and I talked to a few, I talked to a few students about some of the errors that we were seeing, because some of them are just easy errors, low lying fruit that we can easily kind of address. And I was talking to somebody near him, I think I can't remember now. And they were really struggling, real struggling, real struggle bus for them at the 25. And I mentioned a couple of things that they needed to do. And one of them was to grip the gun with your pinkies, hmm. right? Not, not necessarily with your hand, but grip the gun with your pinkies. And we go into detail as to why that works in the classes. But, you know, he, he you know, basically came back to me and he's like, you know, I, I overheard that comment. Um, I didn't put any value in it because I thought I was doing okay. But truthfully, you know, I was maybe 50% at the 25 yard line and that's what cost me on this. And I'm like, you're right. It absolutely was, you know, inside of the 10 yard line, you smoked it, yeah. you know, the 15, you were probably like 80%. And, but at the 25, you were more like 50 and, and he's like, I'm going to be working on that change to my grip to, uh, to, to, bolster up my 25 yards and beyond, you know, because again, we don't know what the distance is. I, you know, the best thing that I've, I've tried to relay to people is that you're training for an unknown, unknowable event. You know, the only known that you have is your skill. That's the only thing that you take into that gunfight is what your skill level is. Well, um, uh, the one thing, um, and this is probably from playing football because with fucking yard marks, like I'm real good at distances. Yeah. I can be like, oh, that's about 25. That's yeah. about 10. That's about 20. Like I'm pretty good to the yeah. point where I knew your cones were. I was like, no, this isn't 10. <laughs> and then we were, that's why I kept 10. This is caddy wampus because yeah, yeah, we're yeah. fucking off. But uh, I think sometimes people struggle a little bit with that. But uh, yeah. like like the one McQuilkin I kept seeing was he was kept riding his fingers on the slide. Oh, so yeah. thumb was here and then he had his yeah, finger yeah. up on the slide, yeah. which prevented him from like, Really fucking getting down. the death grip. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, to the point where when I squeeze that thing, I think about like the, uh, I imagine if this thing was fucking soft, that I would actually bend my hands and squeeze the fucking mag in place. Yeah. Like that's kind of where I'm like trying to roll and squeeze this whole thing. And you're, the, the cue about squeezing the pinkies was really good. Yeah. I, because then what it did is because I was so focused on here that it actually evened up my grip. Exactly. Uh, but also shooting that Glock 19, the fucking grip is short. Yeah. So, so then it's like you're kind of pulling it at the bottom. 
But it, it, it all works out. I mean, because that's where the leverage points are. The further away from the fulcrum you are, the more leverage you'll have. The, the more power, the more force you're applying away from the lever, the more power you're going to have. So um, it, it all works out. But, you know, that was a great kind of takeaway from the class, from a, from a well-developed shooter, somebody that had good skills. And, you know, it, all, it was also uh, very valuable for me to see that, you know, there, there are still plenty of areas of improvement for, you know, all shooters of every caliber, good or bad, or in case, you know, text as well. Well, I did like the fact that you told Tex that he had a limp-wristed shooting style <laughs> that was that was reducing in fucking uh, light strikes. Yeah, it, it was. I fucking hadn't laughed. I, dude. <laughs> well, okay, I'm real dainty. Oh well, no, no, no. But I, I, I think like like just like you know, it's not. Um, it's so interesting. Like like you get to this point where you're like you know squeezing this motherfucker as hard as you can, and then like you know like looking over, and I think maybe uh, over time. You just kind of loosen the grip. Yeah, it's so true. Where it's well, just I'm looking down range. You've got all these other, for all these different balls that you're trying to battle. You know, you're, yeah. you're trying yeah. to juggle these balls in the air and, and, and not some shoot of your dick fall. off. Yeah. yeah, which is and yelling at the non-moving target. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I dude, I, the same shit happened. I mean, uh, like the only thing I can equate it to is like uh, in you know in boxing is you're setting up and you're kind of in this flow and then all of a sudden the dude hits you with a fucking like. You know, fucking just rocks uh, you. Yeah, it like hits you with an overhand right. And you're like, yep, I was expecting a jab. And this dude just fucking knocked me out with an overhand right. Or yep. like, you know, hits you with something. Or orange hits where all of a sudden now you're like, hey, I'm playing guard. And the dude fucking chokes you with like something. And you're like. Didn't see that coming. No. I, <laughs> and, and you know what? That was the straight punch. So I, I, I think in that same thing, like uh, the process of like, you know, being able to come through, draw the pistol, bring it out. You know, as you squeeze the thing, you know, bring your elbows together, pin the elbows to yeah. the side press out, drop and retract the shoulder blades and shoot from the lats and then manage the recoil all while trying to not look like a fucking asshole and throw shots at 25 yards. Or yeah. shoot your dick off. Or shoot your dick off. Yeah, and I was just thinking about what if this is real world? Yeah. like Did that go through your mind? Oh, yeah. Well, why am I taking this course? Well, no, uh -huh. I... I uh, um, so... Uh, Shit, dude. I mean, as many fucking podcasts as we've done. Like the idea of skill acquisition. I always think... Um, if all of a sudden, like, the situation happened, I would almost want to, like, f mentally be in the idea that, like, you know, like, hey, I know that's a paper target, so I'm set up here. I'm going to draw it the exact so same. So imagine the perp as, as a paper, paper target. target. 100%. Uh, so I, huh. I think what happens is is that mm. people get into these situations and they see people moving and yelling, and you almost have to, like, calm the mechanism, fucking focus on it. And you know what? The draw stroke comes up, you bring it out and I'm just punching paper. And you know what? If I miss my eight inch and I get him in the liver, it's a good shot too. So that Whatever. I, I can fail. <laughs> I shoot to kill John. Uh, <laughs> I kept, I think you should have a little dot for the liver shot that that's a fucking win. <laughs> but, um, I would think, cause I've, I've played like every time you put on a, you know, if you're going to carry conceal, Jeff, Jeff brought up a great point about like, uh, if you don't feel confident in your gunfighting abilities, don't fucking wear the gun. Yeah. Like, don't go out there thinking you're going to fucking like, you know, uh, that like, you know, you haven't trained and you're going to somehow draw this thing and be John Wick. And next thing you know, you're fucking doing judo moves and fucking hitting dudes with, with the barrel. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So like, that's a big thing. Like if you're not going to train with the gun and you're not going to be proficient, don't fucking just run. Yeah. And, and you know, don't be the guy like, like, um, uh, we were talking about at the course that there was that uh, active shooter at the mall where that kid got eight out of 10 shots yeah. at like 40 yards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like first of all, that's a fucking ballsy shot to shoot in a in in, yeah. in a crowded place. But and I I um, so the the actual distance 
was disputed. Um, they're they're waiting for the final uh, incident report to be released. It's it, it it's still far, but it just it wasn't exactly forty. Okay, so it's still uh, long. Well, let's say twenty five. Yeah, exactly. So, it's still a fucking long shot. So I mean, he uh, eight out of ten kill shots on a dude at twenty five. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty ballsy shot. I I mean, kudos to that guy. He made the he made a choice to intervene, which is something that not a lot of people would probably have made. He made a choice to intervene in a in a really challenging scenario where distance was present. And again, it goes to the point of you know you just don't know what your gunfight was. He shooting a subcompact, probably. I most concealed carry guns are. Yeah. But I mean, um, so back to back to Texas limp wristing, and it wasn't. It's it's a term. That's an actual term that we use in the industry. Yeah, so it's, it's also from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Is it when, really? Uh, do you, you don't remember when they're going through the whole thing in the Olympics and they're like, Wormser is a master of aerodynamics. He's developed the javelin to go along with Lamar's limp-wristed throwing style. Oh and, 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 and you don't remember? I For those of you guys that have it, it now. Right? And, and do you remember he's like yeah, going he's as he's running? The and, one. and the fucking javelin is bouncing up and down and he throws it. It's like, oh, 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 oh. and he like wins the fucking... I for the Greek Olympics. Holy fucking shit. Oh my God, that just brought me so much joy. Oh, Dude, wow. So when you said it, I thought you were basically <laughs> fucking dropping a revenge of the nerds because... Um, so That's how bad I, I... I did not know that. Uh, so my brother and I, uh, oh it, it's our favorite movie. It's been our favorite movie forever. Oh We've seen God. it like hundreds of times. Oh my God. We quote it all the time, that and Caddyshack. And, oh, uh, fuck uh, yeah. So, so when all of a sudden I'm sitting there and you break out this like... I gotta watch person. one of those tonight now. And I was like, uh, Lamar Luttrell? I mean like... Uh, <laughs> Design this gun to go around with your limpers and through shooting style. And uh, dude, for those of you guys who haven't seen Revenge of the Nerds, pull it up on YouTube, Fuck go through, dude. look at it. Lamar Latrell's like, you know, Jack Black dude wearing like, you know, it's just, yeah. You got to watch the movie. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a shame that movies like that aren't made anymore. There's no way a movie but, like that would be made these no, days. Fuck. But no, dude. But they, we have that as a historical record. So my brother, <laughs> my brother is a criminal defense attorney. We sat there last time we watched it and he's like, do you realize how many felonies and how many laws are broken in this movie? They like broke in to the girl's place. The they dorm, like, yeah, yeah. The they, panty raid. They, they have the panty raid. They set up cameras they were watching it so like much there was, he's like there's so many fucking like like, like I would, the good old days my, he, he's like my clients would go to jail forever for this but <laughs> in as as we're going through it and he says it's part of your limp-wristed shooting style that's why i was fucking dying i was like did he just organically <laughs> drop revenge of the nerds lamar latrell on you I wish I was that cool. I, I will be from now on. And, I will be from now on, though. And now you understand why I was laughing. Oh, fuck, it was. Uh, so, anyhow, the um, the term is a result of the the wrist being basically flaccid, right? And so without there being... You don't say. <laughs> I use that term special for you, Dex. But without there being rigidity or stiffness... The slide cannot reciprocate completely, and so what ends up happening is that you fail, you get a failure to eject, or you get a failure to load. Well, he was getting like primer strikes. So well, what he, was happening was that the slide wasn't fully going back in the battery, uh, which is the third part. It it doesn't have enough energy to fully travel. The recoil spring does, you know, you add to the effects, uh, you know, high 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 volume round count, and dirty gun and dry gun, and it just exasperates that situation. So. The remedy for that is to <clears throat> to make sure that the wrist is indeed locked so that it forms a, a, a wall, if you will, so that the slide can reciprocate fully and then that problem goes away. So we see that with um, 
<clears throat> let's see. We see that I would say with a lot of newer shooters, so it's not a surprise that you that you did that. But um, it's also something that is one of the easiest remedies because it just it like the the remedy just it's like crush it, yeah. just crush it. And well, when you because like trying to tell somebody you need to squeeze with this much PS, PSI on that yeah. thing is like ridiculous well the the other one you you gave me years ago was like um um and i remember you were like you know the the your offhand when you bring it through like this is the fucking vice grip yeah like get a good purchase on the weapon have it there and then bring this like the fucking vice grip and i try to literally squeeze that motherfucker as hard as i can to the point where at the end i was like like I had like a whole bunch of like rub marks on my fingers. <laughs> like my hands were fucking sore because I was squeezing. Yeah. There are three. There are three critical junctures that we talk about. The first is going to be um, the pinky. You know the pinky pressure. Uh, the second is going to be the heel pressure. So pressing in with the heels, which is what you're talking about. And the third is going to be the wrist engagement. And it, when all three of those are formulated with a, just a modicum of skill, the uh, the the results that you see literally are impressive because at that point, what you do. So what, what, why is that important for those that are interested? When, if you want to get to become a fast shooter, a lot of times people will tell you that you just need to go fast and pull the trigger fast, right? Which in my opinion is the worst thing that you could do. Sometimes there is this implication and we could talk about that later, but most of the time, somebody telling somebody just to go fast. Like there's this thing about, um, there's a phrase that people hate these days, which is smooth as fast kind of thing. Yeah. So people hate that phrase now. Why? Smooth as fast, smooth as, or fast as smooth? Yeah. So the reason is that, well, you should just go fast. Right. And, and, and the way I equate that, my response to that is like, oh, okay, then just go ahead and put 225 on the bar and try to snatch that. Or, um, like that's, know, that's how that equates to it. I had the opportunity to go to mid South oh, yeah. and seeing those guys shoot. I knew exactly cause they used that phrase, yeah. you know, slow, yeah. smooth, smooth as fast. Yeah. Uh, watching those guys shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it was like a personification Absolutely. Of this, to the point where like, you know, you get professional soldiers that are like, Holy yeah. fuck. Yeah. Like, like these just guys, like yeah. this is incredible. Yeah, but I mean, that's all they do. Exactly. So, um, when, <clears throat> Again, I lost my train of thought. But when you, when you are, when you are shooting, like so fast that you, that what ends up happening is that you're not shooting to your potential at that point. In my opinion, where you begin to shoot to your potential is when you can start to see your sights, which is called sight tracking. So when you start to see your sights as the gun is discharging and recoiling, you're literally watching the sights move. Right, and they kind of never leave your frame. Of, we call it a, a, a eye box. They never really leave your eye box. And the key is, like, if you were to take your hands and extend your hands, this little this little three by five card is an eye box. And what I'm my goal is to keep my front sight inside that eye box throughout all my shooting. Mm-hmm. All right. So if I do that, what what ends up happening? What that implies is that the sight is no longer rising. The sight is now cycling. Right, and as the site cycles, I can continue to track it. So now I'm just tracking the site, and I'm moving the site as it's moving itself. And as I move it, I move it inside the target zone for that next shot. So I'm pulling the trigger to fire that next shot, not because I'm fast on the trigger, but because I'm faster on my site. Mm. All right, now to get that, 
you have to have that crush grip. Without that crush grip, you'll never see your sights. You'll because go, oh, then what the front end is going to be exactly. Bouncing. It's too yeah. grave. The the it's just too much to ask for just about any shooter to see that. Yeah. Uh, even a, you know, like if a good shooter were to like like this pinky grip that you know just like grip it with just two fingers, he could probably still track the sights. But the average shooter is not going to be able to do that. So the goal behind that crush grip, and again, the reason why we engage the pinkies, engage the heels, and the and the wrist, is that what we're trying to do is create a vice like grip that allows that sight to stay inside that sight box so that I can then start to see the sight. Um, because the moment, like there's like three stages of development for a lot of shooters. <clears throat> the moment they see the sight for the first time, the moment they see the sight in in real time, meaning multiple, like it's now it's just like, wow. And the moment they control the sight while they're shooting. So think of it this way. The first one is I'm shooting, I'm shooting, I pull the trigger and all of a sudden I got like this snapshot of where my sight was on the target. And it was the coolest thing. It's like, wow, that's so awesome. I saw and I go down and sure enough, there's a shot exactly where the dot was when the shot broke, right? The second stage is now I'm actually, it's more like a movie. It's more like a video. Instead of it being a snapshot, it's a video that I'm actually watching everything happen. And the best way that I can explain it is like you're staring into fire, a flickering flame and you're just mesmerized by it. You're just like, whoa. And the more you pull the trigger, the more you see that sight. And so like, that's why we do some of the higher round count drills, like five, seven, 10 round drills mm -hmm. is because it promotes the ability to track your sights when you have everything else, when you do all the other lead up work. And then the third one is when you actually control the sight, meaning that um, the sight, I'm willing to, I, I, wherever I want the sight to go in the recoil is where it goes. And that's like, and that means that I'm not, I'm not shooting exactly. Like I don't have to put everything on top of like a small hole. Like I'm not trying to shoot for a one inch group at that point where I get fast is where I use the entire target zone. So this case, eight inches. So now I'm like the shot during the shot, when the shot is fired and I track my sight, I'm seeing the sight over here. I fire the shot. I saw next shot here, next shot's here, next shot's here, next shot's here. Like I'm willing the shot to go off where I want it because I can see it in real time. It's yeah, it's fucking cool as shit when it happens. Man, I uh, I really enjoy shooting a red dot on a pistol. Yeah, um, I uh, a lot of people do. Um, I I like uh, you know bringing it out and as soon as I bring it up and to be able to see like the target. Yeah, and then be able to like all of a sudden see the red dot come over where I want it and then yeah. just press play. Yeah, um, it, it, it's 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 uh, because we shoot the rifle with red dots. Yeah, yeah. Same thing like two eyes. I bring the red dot up where yeah. I want it and then just press play, and. Uh, like that to me, like the dual learning, whereas now, I mean, but the same thing too, um, you know, with like that big front Trigicon sight that I have on my yeah. clock, same thing. Like I'm not focused on the back. I'm just, I, I know what a level pistol is yeah. and I'm pushing it out level. And then as soon as I get to extension, I exactly. know where the red dot is and I just, it's like a video game press play. It is. So there's a couple things. Um, we're seeing shooters that have maybe less exposure to growing up with iron sights will ad adopt or adapt to shooting a red dot much faster. The, the thing about a red dot, so the, the difference between a red dot on a rifle and a red dot on a pistol is, is this, like that's a, that's a common analogy that people use and it's not the most accurate. A better way to say that is <clears throat> the, the, the red dot on a pistol is similar to a low power variable optic on a rifle, right? So the difference is this, on a, with a low power variable optic, you have eye relief that you have to manage. You, if you don't get the proper eye relief, you're going to get that scope shadow. You're not going to see the reticle, sure. not going to see the dot. 
same thing with a handgun because the the difference with a rifle uh, red dot on a rifle is I got two extra points of contact so I got my left hand my right hand I got the shoulder pocket I got my cheek weld so those extra points of contact allow me to reliably bring the the the, the window of the dot into my sight box whereas with a handgun not I don't have that same reliability it's a little less reliable because I only have two points of contact my left and my right hand so that's why it's more relevant to look at it from an LPVO point of view and the complications of, of, of like shooting an LPVO. And where that becomes a problem is if the shooter does not have, in your case, you have a fairly regular routine, right? Your frequency of shooting is fairly standard. Like you, do, you, have, a, you have a plan, yeah. you know, you go every three weeks. Yeah ish whatever but, that is but, sometimes it's two sometimes it's four yeah i mean with the pistol but i still dry fire uh, yeah, almost exactly. daily and yeah. then and then i shoot my rifle like i shot my rifle almost every night for like three months <laughs> you know and and uh you know and um like my uh you know sbr 416 um you know with a fucking laser yeah is i mean fuck dude when i light that laser up it fucking goes yeah, it does it does but the difference is that you're um with, with a red dot the ability to move that optics window up in front of your eye where the gun is level for you to be able to see through the window to superimpose the dot on the target is the challenge. Mm -hmm. And so you go through say a two day class where you are promoting the pistol mounted optic. And as a result of that, you get good with it. Okay. But like anything else, that's a very perishable skill. Mm -hmm. What ends up happening is that if you don't put in the maintenance, if you don't have a, a regular routine as far as, and, and the dry fire is good, but dry fire it's, is not the same. No, it's like not the dry same fire helps you, but you, what you need is you need help in recovering the gun back on target. So that's, a, that's the second shot because with the sure. red dot, chasing the red dot after the first shot is fired is where a lot of people have problems. Well, the first problem is the mount, not getting the, the right mount, not getting the the, uh, the window in front of their eyes so that they can see the, the dot. And then the second problem is when they fire that first shot and they don't have a good enough grip to, re to, to keep that in, a, in the position that allows them or affords them the best chance to see the sight the second time. And what ends up happening for both of those is almost the same error, which is overcorrecting, hmm. right? You overcorrect and you just never see the sight you never see the dot inside the window because you're just making too big of corrections. So that's one of the problems that people will have. So my recommendation is if you are new and you are going to be shooting a red dot, that's great, but really put some thought into what's the interval and everybody's going to be different. This is where we go back to the two. Well, uh, there was that guy who was at the very first light. Um, he, I don't think had a ton of experience with his red dot because he kept bringing it up saying, I can't see the dot. Yeah, absolutely. He had many, he had many mounts, that the dot was not in his, didn't see it at all. And that's, that's the problem. And so it's, it, 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 it is somewhat remedied with training, but the, it's, it's never going to go away. You always have to practice for it. You always have to train for it. You always have to be ready for it. And, and that's an extra. So on the one hand, it's easy and fun to shoot. On the other hand, it takes, you have to be committed to it. You have to put the work into shooting that thing on a more regular basis. Otherwise, what ends up happening is you run into that problem where you just don't see it because it's not in front of your it's not in front of your face. The other problem that people have with that is over over aiming, over aiming. Those are the two biggest problems that we see: over you know over correcting and over aiming. And over aiming means that you're trying you, because you can see that reference the dot so clearly. You're trying too hard to make it perfect, right? It just needs to be good enough. 
Mm-hmm. And the problem is that, you know, depending on the dot size, you, you really don't have a way of understanding what that really translates to until you shoot them enough to where you know, okay, this is good enough. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of keep repping that out, repping that out, repping that out. So my, my recommendation, if people want to explore red dots, is great. You know, it's, it's, it's technology that's coming. Now, some people will say that it's, the, it's technology, it's the new technology of the future. It's going to be on everything. I disagree with that. Or a better way to say that is I don't know. Yeah. My gut tells me probably not. And I could be wrong, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, I could be wrong. Um, what I believe is that with people that have put the time and energy into mastering it and then maintaining it, it'll be a very good tool for them. But it's not for somebody that's not going to put that level of investment in. It's also another thing to catch on the clothing. We can. Yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line is like any other piece of gear. It's, it's going to come with a pro. It's going to come with a con. But what we talk, what happens is that everybody just wants to talk about the pros. They don't want to talk about the cons. And what I've done in, in conversations with people is like, give me the one reason that shooting a red dot is better than shooting iron sights. Like, tell me what it is. You know, what is it that makes it shooting better? And, and what or exclusive to a red dot? What is what is exclusive to a red dot that I can't do with, the, uh, with iron sights? And so, you know, that's where I try to help level the playing field in the sense like just just be honest. What is it that is exclusive to shooting a red dot? Most of the time people will say, well, you know, it's um, it's any time viewability. It's a red dot. I could see it any time, any lighting conditions. And like, that's true. You can. But can you see the target? And if you can't see the target, then it doesn't matter if you can see the dot. And if you can see the target, can you identify the target as a legal and moral target to use deadly force and if so okay you know great Um, another another one is it's target focused meaning that you're supposed to look at the target versus looking at the site or the front site post and i tell this to everybody it shocks people but for like more than half my naval career i was a target focused shooter with iron sights i didn't know like when people told me or yelled at me to shoot or look at the front site i said i would i would look at it like when it would come out of the holster i would look at it and then I would look at the target after that. And I'm shooting within the 1% of the entire community, which is a, that's already a high level of performers of sorts. So yeah, that's true. That's what it's designed to do, but that doesn't mean that you can't do that with iron sights as well. And I'm not saying that you should do that with iron sights. I'm just saying exclusive to red dots. What does red dots do that is exclusive to them only? You know? So the red dot, you basically, you focus on the target and then when the dot comes up, which is, you know, if I focus on the target, I bring it up and the dot, you know, when it covers the target, that's it. whereas iron sights, I focus on that front sight and pushing it out. And then when it, you know, you almost like intersect the sight line through, with yeah, the target yeah. and you pull the trigger. Same, same thing there. Um, there's a couple of other traits that people will, will, will state about the red dot, um, but the, again, my thing is like, well, everything that you're stating can be done with iron sights too. Mm. The only thing that a red dot does that iron sights can't do really well, and they can, because there are plenty of guys that do this, but for the average person is the ability to shoot at distance. It is, it's like, and what I'm seeing is like, it's like a 50% improvement in your shooting ability at distance. I watched pretty uh, significant. I watched dudes with um, with Trigicons on Glock 17s 
uh, ring steel at 100 yards oh, yeah. consistently. Oh. So they were drawing, shooting, and hitting a 100-yard steel like consistently. Absolutely. It, it I mean, can be done. Uh, like but, I don't think I could hit 100 yards with a, with iron sights. I mean, I would have to almost walk it up. Uh, you could. I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you could with time. You could learn how to do it. You can learn how to aim, and, and the trigger control is really the key there. But my point is that that is truly, in my opinion, the one trait that the pistol-mounted optic stands on the hill all by itself is shooting at distance the accuracy that it can generate at distance is the key um, but unfortunately most deadly force encounters are not at distance and those that are um, are such outliers right now that yeah may, it, it, it could prove to be very valuable if if the end user has that maintenance schedule so that they can see the site when they mount it because again the big problem is not seeing the site and overcorrecting on the first draw. And then so what you're saying to pull this back is uh, shooting just like everything is a perishable skill, just yes. like your strength is perishable, just yes. like fitness is perishable, yes. uh, conditioning, all these yes. other things. If yes. we don't put constant effort yes. and have a plan in place yes. like a program, it fucking falls by the wayside. And I think what we end up getting stuck in, and, and I, I do this too when I don't shoot, there's also false, uh, false bravado oh, yeah. where like all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, I, I just, you know, we went to this pistol class, we shot here, and then you show up and you shoot and you're like, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. And then you're, that, and then you're thinking like, all right, like am I really, if a, you know, some situation arose yeah. where I legitimately had to be John Wick. Yeah. Have I fucking done the training that yeah. would necessitate this outcome? Uh, unlikely. <laughs> unlikely. I mean, <laughs> shit, dude. Uh, like, as you know from, from your community, nobody ever rises to the occasion. Yeah. They just fall to the level of their training. Yeah. I, I had this one guy in this last class, and he was struggling because he was a good shooter. And he kept missing at 12 o'clock. And I would tell him why he was missing at 12 o'clock. And, and it would, it would um, like, the, the, the problem that he had was he couldn't accept that those rounds were there. Like when I would go down and show him his target and walk him through the process of what happened, he would not believe that those shots were there. Like he would like think that those were somebody else's shots or that those were from the last drill that he didn't tape. And it happened more than one time that, you, you know, he just, he had a, like the bravado, the, the, the ego was preventing him from recognizing that those shots because he's uh, other than those shots, he's got a nice grouping inside the, you know, the eight ring there. Probably even inside the six ring, <clears throat> but those shots that were twelve o'clock outside the eight ring were consistent, and they they happened generally during one of the drills that we shoot. Uh, and I know why it happens, and I try to explain it to him, and he just had such a hard time accepting that. It's like I could tell, like the like maybe the third time that I told him what the problem was. He, he was no longer listening. Mm. He was no longer listening because he just could not accept the fact that those were his mistakes. That mm. he, th those were mistakes that he was making. Well, I mean, uh, certain people don't live in reality. Well. And, and it's, it's not our job to, to shake true. them into reality. I mean, we've, you know. But that's that unconscious incompetence. Man, I played. As skilled as they are, they can still. I played with realm. a dude. Uh, I've told you a story. I played with a guy named Patrick Bensky. Uh, who was uh, a German national that played... If it's uh, a negative story, you don't have to say their name. No, I, I got no problem saying it. But uh, <laughs> uh, he was one of our practice squad guys, and we went out, and I remember we were uh, we went to dinner. And, um, I, you know, like, especially for the young dudes in the practice squad guys, I always try to be real friendly. Um, nice. Just because I just... Like, it's part of your job is to mentor the young dudes because Look you might you. need them at some point. Yeah. Uh, so I'd always... Team. Yeah. Like, because you might fucking need them. And uh, 
Yeah. So he was one of our young guys and uh, I took him out to dinner and we went out and I remember we had a couple of drinks and he sat there and he was like, I can't figure out why you're the starter and I'm not the starter. <laughs> and he was, he was bigger than me. He's probably 330. And he's like, I'm bigger than you. I'm like, yeah, but you're not stronger than me. And you're not faster than me. You don't have the experience I do. And you don't have the tech. Like, it's just like, it's pretty apparent. Like, <laughs> You're a practice squad guy. I can tell you. And I, as I was going through, I was like, dude, you could be a good player, but here's all the places that you're lacking. And this is the difference. And, and I told him, unless you actually, um, like accept these limitations, I mean, because here's the thing, like, uh, you could go out there and be like, John, you're the greatest shooter, right? Yeah. And even though I'm throwing all these shots, it's not going to force me to get better. But if right. you go out there and you're like, dude, you're not meeting the standard, yeah, fucking yeah. get your shit fucking going. Yeah, yeah. And you start pushing, like here, giving feedback. And so for him, I'm like, dude, if you keep living within this like fucking thin candy shell of your mind yeah. and you don't accept reality, you're never going to, like you're going to not understand what it's going to take to be better. It's and be the hard. sooner that you can swallow that poison pill and realize like, hey, I'm not making the standard. Yeah. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fit enough. Uh, I don't have the technique. I don't, yeah. I'm not playing with leverage. I'm not bending my knees. I'm not doing all the things that I'm telling you. Yeah. And as a dude that started and played at a high level, I can tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, and then we finally get to the point where he's like, I just can't accept that I'm not the best at all times. And, <laughs> and, and, well, fair enough. Yeah. And, cool. And, and I was like, well, you know what? Enjoy your time on the practice squad. And he ended up getting released. And like, he was still like, it was hard for him to grasp. And it was one of the first times I ever met people that like, I mean, cause I, I, I like to constantly think that we're living in reality. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, um, reality is, a uh, um, you know, I mean, like, like, your course was incredible. Had we done, had Tex and I gone to the range every other day, had been, we've been training for months in preparation of it so we could show up. No, fuck no, we didn't. Right. We just yeah, fucking showed up cold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know what? Like if we had, and so knowing in my head, the amount of work that I had done in preparation, yeah. I was like, <laughs> like, like I, I but, but we were also going out there to have a good time and shoot and, and Colin was here and to see you and yeah, just yeah. fucking bust balls. Yeah, yeah. And also being proficient enough to be able to go out there and fucking yeah. shoot fine. But like, there's also like, uh, you know, oh, I don't know why I'm not better at this. And I'm like, have you done the work? I mean, we've run into people where yes. they're like, you know, why aren't I stronger? Why yes. haven't I done better? I'm like, well, what are you doing for your training? Yes. Have you followed all this? Dude. And, and, and then being able to be like, you have to almost, it's like a slide scale. Like, uh, have you ever seen like the crazy hot chick matrix? Yes. Where like Tiffany hot, with an eye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing with training. Like, if you want to put it here, I mean, like the the one guy and I forget his name who shot real well, the cop. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, Mark. He uh, shoots. Um, what is it? IDPA. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's police officer. I mean, he obviously trains. Like, this is something that's very important to him because he like as he got done with the class, he put on his uniform yeah, and was going off. out on patrol. He, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this was something that he he was probably radioing and it's like, yeah, I'm on my lunch break. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like. It's something that's important to him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's done the work, so he's going to come out and perform at a high level. And, like, there's no magic in it. Like, it's I mean, not. it comes down well, to... Well, the round. magic is that. That's the magic. Well, so the magic is hard work? Yes. Oh, fuck. I know. God damn it. <laughs> I just wish there was some special gun that shot itself. Oh, well, not yet. But, you know, I love hearing you say that, too, because if I could get across to somebody like, because one of the things I'm also worried about is that sometimes people will look at that. Oh, 80 hours, hard work, consistency, planning, maintenance, blah, 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 blah. And it'll be a turnoff. It'll be a detriment to their entry. You know? So one of the things that I'm trying to do is, is, is remove as many barriers to entry as I can. And the, the one piece of advice that I will tell people that are just getting into this is that you've got to expect that you're going to be bad for a while and maybe 
Maybe that's okay. Maybe your gunfight, that's all you need. You just needed that, right? But I don't know. And therefore, I'm always going to push you to move and continue to make you know, achievements and get to the next level and continue to improve and get better because that's, that's the only way that I know that I can guarantee that things are going to go better for you. You know that because they're like the, um, the saying luck favors, um, chance or luck favors favors the prepared. Yeah. So, and, and it's actually the, the, the original version of that was luck favors the strong. And so, uh, it got, you know, like, Fortune favors the bold is yeah. the other way to look at that. And so um, luck favors the strong. So when I tell people that if you can just be like, if, if you can just be okay where you are, you're where you are for a reason. Like you were saying, be, be grateful to be a white belt and not have any responsibilities and not have any consequences and not have any requirements. Just appreciate that learning phase of taking in all this knowledge and just getting it. Look at that as a win and, and be okay with it. And then if you choose down the road that you, you know what, I might want to put some more time into this. I might want to get better. Great. That's awesome. But my, my hope is that I can convince people that you, you don't necessarily have to climb up that scale. It's, in my opinion, like I'm sure I'm talking to the wall here, that why, why else would I not want to reach the top? Sure. You know, be the very best that I could. With that To me, that just is the same reason why I take in air. It's like it's part of my, my, my nature. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything unless I could do it as good as I could. Isn't it? Um, but there are other people that don't want that. Yeah, but uh, um, I, it's like... Um, the toughest thing is starting. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's like, yes. think, think about how many people are like, oh, you know, uh, um, I don't want to suck at this. Yes. So, so then they never start. Yes. And uh, it, so, I mean, so I, I was thinking on that with like, uh, actually one of the favorite quotes I heard recently was, um, it's uh, it's easier to raise your son right than fix broken men. It was like something oh, like. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Uh, it's easier uh, to raise your son it's it's easier to raise your son than to or it's easier hold on, hold to on. yeah yeah no i know it it's like i'm going to fuck this one up no 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 i it's easier to teach your son than to raise your grandchildren something like that cuz if you don't teach your son how to be a man then you'll end up raising uh, your grandchildren it's easier to build strong children than repair uh, broken men oh okay so okay it's okay. easier to build strong children than to repair broken men Perfect. and okay. uh, it was actually frederick Douglass. Um, he, he, yeah. So, I mean, the, pretty easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. And as I was thinking a little bit, uh, I don't know, like, you know, as we're having these conversations, uh, quotes go through my head, Love it. but thinking about like, you know, in this situation, like somebody coming to your course and like, you know, like, like Chris, for example, like, I mean, what an opportunity. I mean, so, so when I got into pistol shooting, I was in Kansas city and, we were, I, I lived pretty kitty corner to a gun range. Mm, cool. So on uh, Mondays, um, we would just go to the gun range and I would just buy a gun. <laughs> like it was so stupid. I'd, I'd, <gasps> I'd go in there and I'd just buy something and yeah. I would shoot it. I bought like a Smith & Wesson 500. Oh my God. Uh, I had a Mark 23. Holy shit. Uh, I bought 1911. So like I would just go in there and buy something and I would shoot it. And then uh, I would like sell it back to the dude and just get something else or I'd keep it or if I liked Whatever. it. Whatever. So I just shot everything. Wow. And uh, it got to the point where like the, the, there was a private range down there. And, um, you know, like the, they were like, oh, you guys are chiefs. Like just fucking go down there. And oh, there was cool. A, it, it was cool. That's cool. But uh, zero 
fucking coaching. Yeah. We were just out there fucking like, choo, 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 like just, <laughs> just like zero understanding of anything. Yeah. Um, you know, no YouTube, just nothing. Nothing. And, and so I, I had zero Good coaching days. in it. Yeah. And, uh, and then it wasn't until like I, I had shot a bunch with, um, when I got into CrossFit, I met, uh, Dave Castro Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I, I would go up to uh, La Posta yeah. and I would go shoot with the students. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I got coached by Alex Sonnenberg, rest in peace, who since passed away. Yeah. Um, Alex was EOD guy and um, ended up passing away in a squirrel suit accident, but amazing fucking dude. But Alex coached me up on pistols. No way. So it was Dave, um, who was who's a competent shooter. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. And then and then Alex yeah. would just show up and we would shoot. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think Tej was there and like no a way. bunch. Of, yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, it was cool. Like that a bunch is... of these cats would show up and they taught me how to shoot. Yes. So then I was much more proficient at shooting because now all of a sudden we were talking about pistol transition rifles and yeah. like just like so I, I got to work with uh in the same curriculum that the students were at La Posta. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that for a couple you years. Bastard. I would drive down there and then take the ride and go to La Posta and I would uh, I remember Robin was there too. So I'd stay the night a bunch and we would shoot <laughs> two days. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that's awesome. Right. So so then when I got invited to go out to Mid South, that's when uh you know we got connected and yeah. I was like, yo man, like uh, I've, I've been out shooting with these guys, but like I legitimately need some fucking coaching. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so like, you know, because I knew I had bad habits, but I'm coachable. Whereas I was thinking about Chris's experience, like here's an opportunity yes. to work with. And, you know, I mean. It was awesome. Yeah. I he mean, was but, a great student but, but to that, his credit. But but that's like, that's a, a creating a solid foundation now, which he ever goes and shoots. And if he wants to shoot more often, at least now he has a foundation of like, okay, I know what a high ready is. I mean, I remember fucking going and like those guys teach me like a low ready and a high ready position. Yeah. I'd never heard any of that yeah. shit, mm-hmm. you know? And then like being like, well, why don't you want a high ready? And it's like, cause you're gonna get the fucking thing bashed in your face. Yeah. We go low ready. NSW goes low ready. Yeah. You know? So it was, uh, it was, it was super valuable, but like, uh, having that experience and like that, that mentorship, it's kind of like, you know, you haven't lifted weights and you show up to train a power athlete and we're like, okay, where are we at day one? <laughs> Let's start where everybody starts. Let's start the foundation. Then yeah. taking him like we're working with, uh, with, uh, you know, Victor and Shanji nice. and, um, and the guys from six blades. Yeah. So they have the opportunity to like learn from the foundation. And, um, I, I think that like that is not stressed enough. Because you don't have all these preconceived notions. You don't have all these fucking bad habits. And you know what? You have no ego about it. You're like, I'm an empty vessel. I emptied my cup. Make me fucking good. I, I, I will tell you one thing. For, for a long time, like getting back into fitness and learning how to lift correctly was kind of like um, a life-saving thing for me. You know, it got me out of a really bad place. But it also, it gave me the opportunity to learn you know, like to actually put my student hat on, be a sponge, take as much information on as I can, just relish in the fact that I get to learn again. And I, one of the traits that I try to encourage students to have is curiosity. Be curious as a student, ask questions, learn about why this works and why that doesn't work. You know, be, be engaged in your own learning process. And I saw this with my kids growing up Um, They both had some learning disabilities that we had to work with. And so one of the things that I feel was not reinforced enough with them is that curiosity to learn. And and, and it became more of like a a mechanical process versus, you know, it should be fun. It should be entertaining. There should be some sort of value to it that is not just, you know, at the end of the day, I want to be able to protect myself. There needs to be something about like, at the end of the day, I'm accomplishing something that I hadn't been able to accomplish before. I have 
learned. I have achieved a new level, a new um, skill. And that's cool. Like that's like, like I love learning new things now. And I, I, I've, I've really tried to push outside my comfort zone and get involved in things that I might not normally have done in the past. And part of it is that I have more time on my hands now. You know, I'm at a place in my life where, you know, we're successful. I can choose, pick and choose where I want to go and what I want to do. Um, so I kind of leave plenty of opportunity open to explore things and change, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I am a creature of habit and I know that, but when I'm in a learning mode, I have no habits. I'm, I'm want to, what are my habits that I need to learn? What, what is my process? What do I need to take on? How do I need to learn this? How does this process work? You know, like these are questions that I have. And I also try to tell the students, like, if you don't understand the process, if you don't understand the why you're not really taking part in the learning. You're just, you're just along for the ride and that's okay. Maybe that'll get you through it. But when you take a vested interest in the why and the learning process, it means more to you. It's more valuable and you understand it at a much different level. And that's what I need for my students. I need them to be engaged in that way. Be curious, understand the why have a, you know, a, just a relentless attitude about wanting to, to just like take on new knowledge. Hopefully more people get that. We see that now. I, um, I'm very happy with the number of new students that we see in classes. It's, it's, it's reassuring to, to me to see that, you know, the, the influx of new shooters is now propagating. You know, it took a while for them to kind of reach this new level where they're, where they value training and where they value learning and they want to take it to their next level. You know, it, you know, we had that growth spurt in 2019 and 2020 and then a little bit of 2021. And now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of those, um, those individuals that are like, okay, it's been a couple of years. All right. Let me, let me check out this, this training education stuff and let me see if it's something that I'm interested. Others have done it for more, visceral reasons because they truly are concerned about where we are in, you know, in, in this, this country right now, but others are taking it. It's like, Hmm. All right. I want to learn. I want to take wow. this on. Yeah. Yeah. But Tex, you were a very good student. You were I teachable. want to get it on record that uh, during the final competition mm. phase, yes. John and I were able to face off. It was good. Yes, one of was. us. And as far as social media, it's concerned. I oh, yeah. won the whole course. No, you, <laughs> you crushed it. I also got to pull out my fucking eight that shot revolver. That little thing was hilarious. The first time I saw it, I was like, what the So fuck? I tucked it under my shirt. And when we went to go draw it, I, I totally I, was. You were like, what the shit? <laughs> and it, it was cool, too. I mean, you, you, you got a couple of hits on the steel on that one. That was good. That was good. Yes. But, but Tex, Tex might have sucked throughout the whole class, but he had that one. Which is good. Shot, literally. I, I am happy that he was able to like fucking put it go together. Ahead. Yeah. That's it. I mean, yeah. that's what we want. You know, for that one drill, you were a hero. Dude, you crushed it. You that were, was yeah. great. I, I'm just stoked that I got to shoot that thing. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I like, I don't carry it. I, yeah. like, I, I have it. Like, it's, it's just. That thing is hilarious. It's so obnoxious. It's eight shot, 350. Like, I only shoot 38 pl uh, plus yeah, piece. Like, I, I don't shoot 357 loads no. out of that thing. Fuck that. Are you kidding? It's like. <laughs> 
you have enough TBI. You don't need any more. Well, when you were talking about like a high powered ammo and all this other shit, I've never shot 357 full loads oh, out of that fuck. motherfucker. I wish I don't. Yeah, I mean, the only time is if I'm in the field, do I take 357s in my gun, my wheel gun? Fuck no. But yeah. I, I do enjoy one. I like uh, the thing I do like about a wheel gun is um, like there's no springs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like well, you, there are a lot of springs, but they don't. They're all internal. Yeah, like it's like you could put that thing in the freezer oh, yeah, and it's yeah. still going to shoot. Yeah. yeah. So I got practice. Oh, oh. you don't have yeah. to stop. No, no, we'll we'll cut it there. I mean, yeah. I know we could chew the fat forever, but uh, man, dude, thank you so much for coming oh, dude. on. I uh, um, fuck, dude, we've been friends for so long. I, know. I mean, so when I would come out to Austin when we were looking for for this, yeah, I'd stay at Jeff's house. Yeah, yeah, and, it was uh, awesome. And and the fact that he's only ten minutes from my house now just makes it even better. And then right. and and the uh, one of the saddest days, uh, Jeff had the most bitching dog, Artemis. <sighs> And uh, that dog was hilarious because I'd be like, uh, Jeff would get up early and I was just kind of like laying there and I'd see the door crack and the dog would look at me and I'd like turn my head and then he would go back out. Then like a few seconds later, he, so we'd play this little game and then I would like open my eyes and he would see me and he would sprint through the door and try to like spear me into the... I'm not kidding you, dude. That dog was like uh, I love him. Uh, man. He he his soul like somehow like uh, um, he really did like you too. He dude. really did. I I miss that guy. Yeah. Uh, our new one, Brizo. She's a Belgian. That so Argus was a German Shepherd and and Brizo is a Belgian Malinois. And she's got oh man yeah you guys she's high some, motor. She is. You guys spent some quality time with her because that girl is hilarious. She is. She's vicious. She like. Like uh, everybody calls them like uh, like land sharks and fur well, missiles. And I told like you that, that they call uh, uh, DJ's girl has a Malmois and they call it the hair missile. Yeah, because uh, uh, they had twelve chickens. Now they have no more chickens. <laughs> have no more chickens. So the dog was launching itself off the deck and then hitting the chickens and like eat. It. She, she's like, I've never seen anything like it. It yeah. was like it was like shot out of a gun. Yeah, those dogs are They're so beautiful. badass. I love them. If people want to learn more about your courses oh, and all Sorry. your offerings, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, tridentconcepts.com. Please go to our website. Well, we finally got it back up. It was uh, kind of in a stagnant mode, but it's up and running now. You can go to all of our social media. You can go um, off of our webpage, our main page on the website. You can go and find all our social media. I really encourage people to check out our blogs, though, because we've written like over 750 plus blogs on shooting. And you write pretty often for uh, yeah. like uh, AR-15 magazine or yeah. uh, the website, but also a bunch of like uh, yeah. the Gun Max. Absolutely. There's that. Um, we got a bunch of new products that just came out. We got a new book, the concealed carry manual that just came out. I'm very happy with that. So it's a great Christmas gift. So we'll have black Friday sales. So oh, check that out. Yeah. Um, we started the podcast, the bulletproof workshop yep. and folks, um, can check that out by going to uh, bulletproofworkshop.com. And, um, yeah, just, uh, that's about, that's about it, man, dude, this has been awesome. And again, Kudos to both of you for doing such a great job in the class. Thank you for coming out and spending time out there. It was great. I, I'm 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 always humbled by by being able to work around stellar guys like yourself. So that was that was a lot of fun. Plus, I also feel good that you guys have these skills that you can defend your family and protect yourself. So yeah, it makes me feel good too. And uh, it was fun. We got to go out there and yeah. laugh and joke. And yeah. like I think sometimes with the shooting stuff, people get so serious. That's true. I can. And uh, I like to like you know hey if we're it down a little bit. Yeah. Well, if we're going to be out here, like let's joke oh, and have a good yeah. time. Yeah. We so. yeah, we tried. We have to. Sometimes we also have to add that levity because it helps to kind of. Uh, get over the butt hurt. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, dude, thanks for coming. My so, pleasure, brothers. Um, and f for anybody listening, um, Power With Your Radio. Bye. Bye. Bye.